0: What really gets my dick hard is. So fucking what? Hi, it's me, David Mustaine, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Nice story.
1: Welcome to Middle of Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 79, we're talking about hardwired to... What's it called? Hardwired to self-destruct disc. Not one, not two, not four, not five. Disc three.
2: I was titillated just then. (laughs) I didn't know what you would say. Just, I don't know. Disc three, the bonus disc. It was going to be... Originally entitled Riff Origins, where it was going to be like the demos, I guess. Right. And uh, they decided last minute to put out, sort of collect some of the covers they'd put on various tribute records and a live, sort of their, from their Record Story Day thing. Anyway, yeah. we'll get into all that, oh, all yeah. the details. But I'm excited. I um, When Lords of Summer first came out, which is sort of the most important song on this record. I agree. I will say when it first came out, the first pass quote unquote that they released a single. It's kinda of rough. It's, it's better than a demo, but it's kinda of demo-ish. It's demoy.
1: I mean, it definitely sounds like they recorded at HQ. It's with Hetfield and Ulrich. They produced it. They produced it and, and kind of themselves. They may have mixed it too. I don't know. This is this maybe <clears throat> pre fiddleman really coming in and like taking over in that studio and like anything they put out there. I mean even these these things from Rasputin in the, in Berkeley sound better than that yeah he clearly did those you know for the hardware release and I, but and
2: i think when it came out we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit but but i will say i don't know if i loved lords of summer when i first heard it it didn't really track with me the first
1: version i heard was live then i think they were in europe or something they debuted it is when they debuted it where was it columbia columbia ohio <laughs> columbia south carolina got it um but yeah. i remember watching that thinking like this song is so badass and it was the first glimpse of what's to come right. we got. We heard nothing else. Uh, and then this came out. It was like, holy oh shit, it's fast. It's a great riff. All, it, Hetfield's vocals were great. Yeah. Well, they, they, they were playing another newest song around that time called Vulturous that's
2: not great.
1: Oh, it's right. Remember that? Yeah. Vol, it's
2: called Vulturous. Um, but having said all that, really burning it down today and, and really just being in love with Hardwired over the last two years... I told you before we started rolling, Lords of Summer is like becoming one of my favorite Metallica. Songs. I love this song. That's great. So we're we're gonna burn this whole record. Yeah, we'll down. get into it. <clears throat> we're we're both pretty excited about it, safe to say. So oh, yeah. if you don't know who we are, we're an all Metallica Podcast every week, Ethan and I, who are somehow amazingly two professional touring musicians. What? In twenty eighteen. Impossible. Which is impossible now. Um uh we get together every week and talk about our favorite metal band. It's the Metallica is the reason we're friends. Mm-hmm. It really is. That's it's more f- now. It's more now. That's how it
1: started. It. It's the our foundation. Fri- it's the foundation. It is the core of our friendship. This is what started it all. You've heard the story way it, back yonder. 700 years ago. 700 years Abraham ago. Abraham Lincoln gave his life in the Battle of the Bulge. Sir Paulius Mocus introduced us. Paulius? Paulius? <laughs> Matthewicus Mayfieldus was there too. Anyways, you know the story. Anyways, this comes right. This is a foundation of our friendship. This is the band is the reason we started this podcast. It has been cool as we've
2: grown closer as friends over the last year and a half, and this being the thread through right. the story. Because yeah, we hang out and work together elsewhere, and we know each other's families now. And right,
1: it's definitely much deeper than that. But it's way deeper. And speaking of close, Clint and I are sharing the same mic right now. If you can't tell, but we're that close. It's like the um, Spaghetti scene in Lady and
2: the Tramp, where the the noodle gets closer and closer, Mm. and it's like, oh, are we kissing now? Yep. Now, here's the deal. We have some housekeeping to do. We've been a podcast for, we were just musing over this, like, a little over a year and a half. Now, what comes with all that is we've garnered quite a few listeners. Um, We have responsibilities to adhere to, so we're going to try to blow through this before we start talking about this record. We'll make it quick. um, We have an iTunes. If you want to go on iTunes, we... (laughs) We have an iTunes. We have. I have iTunes. We have at least one iTunes.
0: iTunes.
2: (laughs) On iTunes, our podcast is available, and you can go leave reviews there. They go a long way. Leave us the review or don't. I don't think we care anymore at this point. But it would be nice. We've got got a lot of reviews. uh, That are nice. Great, positive reviews. We're very thankful. But we don't wear our fans
1: out if they don't want to go do it. Yeah, you don't want to do it. That's totally fine. Right. If all of you want to do it, we would have like at least, what, I don't know, 567,000 reviews. Close. But it's okay. You don't have to do it. It's fine. We appreciate it if you do. If you don't want to, totally cool. Keep listening and stay on the ride. We're on all the socials.
2: We're on Instagram. We do Instagram lives. We did one right before this episode. We're probably going to do one right after. It's really fun. They're very loose and candid. Uh, We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. A uh, thing to note about YouTube, <clears throat> we've gotten a lot of people asking how we played some of the songs on our covers EP, Cover Our World Black in Volume 1, which you can only get through the Patreon, which we'll talk about that in a second. True. So I made a YouTube video, uh, basically a guitar tutorial of how I played the Outlaw Torn. Oh, nice. Now, mostly what's going on on YouTube is we just put our episodes up there because we have some people who listen exclusively through YouTube. But this is a kind of a new cool thing. So if you haven't been to our YouTube page yet, you can go there and watch about an eight-minute video of me explaining how to play the Outlaw Torn. Awesome. So that's cool.
1: Are you a guitar player? Do you want to learn how to play
2: the Outlaw Torn Clint style? Go to YouTube. Do you have a hurdy-gurdy sitting in the corner collecting dust, and it's time to pick it up and play Lowman's Man's Lyric? It's about time to do it. Your best life now. That's a Joel Osteen title, by the way.
1: <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> your it. Your best life now. Your best. This is your best life now. Uh, God told me that uh, this is your best life now. As long as you pick up that dusty hurdy-gurdy. As long as you
0: pick up that checkbook and send me a check so I can fund my new private jet campaign.
1: And I'll send you hurdy-gurdy parts.
2: <laughs> uh, what I'll do is I'll send you 65 separate parts of a hurdy-gurdy. You assemble it together via the power of the Holy Spirit. For 19 payments of $100,000. It's it's
1: kind of like Legos. <laughs> well, Legos are Lincoln Logs. You decide. I prefer Lincoln Logs. He was more American. Legos are Swedish. <laughs> That's not true. They're Danish. Do we know a few Danes? Other than our beloved Lars? I think we do.
2: Oh, yeah. Torben. Hey, Torben. It's so great to see you, Clinton. You know what's really odd about sitting across from you right now at HQ1? Yes? Is that... Is it my beard stroking? I n- no, it's not your Merlin's beard. I never thought I would see Torben Ulrich, a Danish legend,
1: wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Well, um, as you know, I live near Lars in Northern California, and there's a beach nearby. It's, oh, uh, Mar- Marin County? I think it's all called the San Francisco Beach. That's what I've heard. I, it's a good beach. I don't often walk in the sand because I usually hover above it on my carpet. Yeah. But Lars and I go for runs near the Golden. Gate. <laughs> One day I'll get it. La- Lars and I go jogging, uh, long, <laughs> long yogs <yawks. laughs> near the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's so fascinating just to see how many people come over uh, from other countries uh, across the Golden Gate Bridge. I- I've only been to Marin County, San Francisco beaches, and Denmark. Just just those so three places. I'm, I am uh, fairly certain that when you go over to the Golden Gate Bridge, I think it's another country over there. I'm not sure where it is, but what's weird, though, is Lars says HQ is that way. Yeah. So I'm guessing that HQ is maybe back in Denmark or something.
2: <laughs> I just like that you wear your long johns on your long yogs.
1: Love my long yogs and uh, long yawns. And, uh, yes, these Hawaiian shirts are great. uh, It's like uh, I heard a saying that when I put it on, uh, I I realized I was uncomfortable my entire life. (laughs) It feels like I'm very nothing. Well. um, Also sounds like I'm German. That's the best I can do. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's very good to chat with you, Torben. Thanks for stopping by. Great to be here. (laughs) As you can tell, uh, we've upped our sound effect game. Yeah, the production level is getting pretty high over here, here at Metal Up Your yeah, Podcast. Yeah, that, that, <clears throat> that was a custom-made effect
2: of a turbine on a carpet flying away. Now, what's really cool about what's going on over here at Metal Up Your Podcast land is com, in which you can listen to all the episodes. You can listen to every other podcast Ethan and I have been on. All of them. And thus learning m- muchos about our various past lives. Muchos. You can buy t-shirts and other merch. That supports the show. It does. Maybe you don't want to leave the iTunes review. Maybe you don't want to become a patron. Maybe with all that's really weird to you. You know what you can do? You can go buy a T-shirt. Yeah. All of that goes right and in, back into the show.
1: Buy an extra small one so you look super fucking hot.
2: Now speaking of the Patreon, I mean, speaking of the
1: dudes, by the way.
2: <laughs> speaking of the Patreon, we got a couple new patrons this week. Uh, you're gonna hear a commercial about that later. For now, we just want to acknowledge and say thank you to Bruno Ivan Acosta and Aurelian Moreau.
1: Moreau they became patrons. Are you related this week. to Faroe? Pharrell.
2: Pharrell and Moreau. Sounds like a sweet couple. Now, we heard from Mustaine a little earlier. We're about to get into some Mustaine shit. Yeah, let's
1: get into some news real quick. Before we uh, dive into email world...
2: (sighs) Can I just say real quick before we do news? Because I'm about to get grumpy. And before I get grumpy, I want to say pleasant things. Okay, let me hear something pleasant. The last thing about the patrons we'll say right now is, we do a monthly giveaway now for our patrons. We give away five gifts. And we have those five winners on this episode, and we are going to name them and the five gifts at the end of the episode. I can't wait. So, everyone should stay tuned and hear that, because it's going to be fun, especially if you're a patron, though. You need to stay tuned for that. Now, let's get some news, again, before we get into Butthole Mustaine. <laughs> <laughs> some relevant news. Now, as of the airing of this podcast, this event that I'm about to describe will have already happened. Right. While we're recording, it's the day before. Okay. But what I'm speaking of is, on June 14th, Metallica will be awarded the Polar Music Prize in Stockholm, Sweden. Rob and Lars are going to be there. I saw them both post from Instagram They today. are there right they're now as we're recording, yeah. With their lovely wives. <clears throat> uh, they're going to be inducted by Deep Purple, which is cool because Lars inducted Deep Purple totally. into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2016. Yep. Uh, we know they're big fans. In fact, there's a Deep Purple cover on the record we're about to talk about right now, When a Blind Man Cries. Yep. Um, The band Ghost, which is having quite a heyday Quite a heyday There's a lot of press about them right now Their new album, Prequel, is really fucking cool, dude I need to dive into it Because you love Ghost I love the last I'm not People people email us a lot about Ghost Yeah Um, Let me just clear something up here Um, I do love Ghost Their last record, Meliora I love a lot I don't know anything before that I understand they have three or four records before that Sure I'm not like an OG, I'm not an expert. You're not I, a true. I love their last record which was very like um
1: well, it's more commercial. It's the you're reason they having coming, a big heyday. It's, you're, you're coming in on their black album. Um kind of. It does But maybe that will maybe that will help uh, you maybe go back in time and revisit
2: these early ones. They're fascinating, but it's not that's not really happening to me for oddly because okay. what I'm under, what I'm understanding is their earlier records are so different and like heavier and stuff. And they kind of do this big theatrical, the Papa, and, and I don't even know how to say it. They have this, like, dark Pope, and he changes. There's, like, Pope 1 and Pope 2, et cetera. Mm-hmm. This is going to bum our fans out who, like, are big into ghosts. I know we have a few. I can't even follow off it's the It's like drum. Papa
1: Smurf or something.
2: It's just very dramatic, and there's all this backstory. I just like the tunes. Sure. we well, are a songwriter. That makes sense. But their new record prequel it, it is, um it's it's really really fucking good. It awesome. really really. I need is to great. check it out. I now, really do. And and the uh, Metallica had Ghost like early on in Ghost's career at one of the Orion festivals. Right. James yeah. is a fan of Ghost. Yeah. What's cool is Ghost and uh, Candlemass and go. These are two Swedish bands. That's why. But they're yeah. going to be playing Metallica songs. So this will already have happened by the time this airs, but I'm anxious to see what songs they do,
1: how they sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially Ghost. I mean, I don't know how theatrical they are. I mean... Yeah. What and what song...
2: We, like, what song... Like, that. To, the the lead singer of Ghost, Tobias Forge, is similar to our age. So, yeah. I wonder, like, is he gonna do a an OG, you know, kill them all through Justice? Or how cool would it be if he did some kind of cool shit from Load and Reload or something? I
1: feel like no matter what Ghost does, it'll be... And this is more my hope than anything. My hope is that it'll be kind of the way we've interpreted their songs on our EP. Like like a reimagining. A reimagining. Not exactly. like a note for note. Yeah, like if they did, like, let's say they did, you know, Jump in the Fire. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't just be do, 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 You know, they would do something really theatrical, a different, uh, I don't know. I'm just anxious either way. I'm anxious to see what they do, how they do it. A reimagining, I think, would be really cool. Uh, we'll see.
2: I actually thought today, watching this, uh, this the live show that's included on disc three of Hardwired, mm-hmm. I thought because it's, it's mostly old school material, right. and I thought, yeah. man, how cool would it be to do like a really delicate version of like Motor Breath or something?
1: Motor Breath, it's
0: how I live my life.
2: I can't take, take it,
0: any it any other, other way. way. Motor Breath, oh. oh, oh.
2: <laughs> I do want to do the My Heart Will Go On version of Hit the
1: Lights. Mm, that'd be a good one.
0: No life till ever. <laughs> well, let's kick the last tonight.
1: <laughs> I wish I had a whistle right now. <laughs> It was
0: surprisingly in key, not <laughs> far. Beautiful. Off. That
1: that high note I hit sounded like a kid picking up a recorder for the first time. I've got a melodica. Will that help? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right.
2: Um, for those of you who are wondering what the polar are doing right now,
1: <laughs> I can tell you I think you. they
2: know. For those of you wondering, like I was uh, earlier this week, wondering what the polar music prize is. It is, quote-unquote, given to celebrate music in all its various forms and to emphasize the original intention of the Polar Music Prize, which was to break down musical boundaries by bringing together people from all different worlds of music.
1: Aww. That's nice. It's adorable. And yet another yeah, has reason... Has Metallica done that? Fuck yes, they have. They've only been doing that for 35 years? At least five.
2: Now, if it's as if we needed another reason to be proud of the boys, of course we love when they... This is a prestigious award That's that's not just a metal thing. This is like a... You know, they, they're they representing hard music and this yeah, thing that lots sure. of other esteemed artists have won, you know. So, right. congrats to them. Uh, we'll see, hopefully the ghost performance is worth a shit. Now, let's get to the grumpy news. <clears throat> grumpy news. Dave Mustaine in his never-ending campaign to be the poster boy for all douchebags. <sighs> has come out. A, a, it's almost not his fault in a way because journalists are asking him, you know. <sighs> They now, are. His response
1: doing, is... Now, they're doing I mean, their
2: jobs. Of course. I would submit. They're doing their jobs. They're getting clickbait. They're trying to make their stories as juicy as possible. Of course. The problem is they know that Dave Mustaine is literally incapable of taking the high road. He's he, literally incapable He of can't it.
1: just be like, you know what? Yeah, that sucked back then, but it's made me a better person. Uh, I've, I've become a millionaire because of it. I've sold millions of records because of it, and I'm grateful. Oh, He, he can't do that. Him being gracious and gr- grateful,
2: impossible. Oh, they he's sold billions. Right. I hate being a millionaire if I can't be a goddamn billionaire. I hate that I own multiple properties. Now, here's another facet of this, and I'm about to read this quote. He was asked about the no-left-to-leather box set that we now know... Did not come out the um, you know when when Metallica started doing these big box sets they started with Kill 'Em All they wanted to start with No Left to Leather they wanted to start with No Left to Leather and we, we I think even when we talked about this um, a year ago all we knew was what Lars said which was they mm-hmm. had some, they ran into some legal trouble right and they, they just they ran into some like red tape and they decided just to move on with Kill 'Em All we've since found out that that red tape isn't the original producer or Johnny Z no it's a guy with red hair it's a guy with a red butt. <laughs> like an orangutan. Yes. Now, here is what he said. Now, he was asked about the No Left to Leather box set. Here uh, is—I am going to read this quote entirely, and then we're going to talk about this. All right, sounds good. And I will say this: this pisses me off, as it should. So, speaking of the No Left to Leather box set, David Mustaine said this. He says, "I am not going to give Lars my credit. I am not going to be a part of it. I wrote all of Mechanics, I wrote all of Jump in the Fire. So, me giving any percentage of that to Lars Ulrich, he can pound sand." Which doesn't really hurt, by the way. (laughs) And as far as the song Phantom Lord, I wrote every note of that music. James Hetfield wrote all the lyrics. That's 50-50. If James wants to give his percentage up to Lars because he's afraid of him, that's up to him. I'm not afraid of Lars Ulrich, and I'm not giving him my percentage. And the same thing with Metal Militia. I wrote every single note of that music. James wrote every note of that lyric. That's 50-50. If James wants to give Lars his percentage, that's fine if he's afraid of him. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not giving nothing to Lars Ulrich. He says, now they took it in the past, apparently referring to Kill All credits. He says, everybody knows that, and the past is the past, but I could not willingly enter into a new agreement with these guys predicated on Lars getting credit for something that not only he did not do, but was incapable of doing. And then he unfortunately elaborates... He was incapable of writing songs that good back then. Now there's a little more. Uh, actually,
1: actually, no, you're right. Let's, let's stay here. Okay. Well, first of all, yes, Lars is incapable of writing these riffs because guess what? He doesn't, he's not a guitar player. He's a drummer and he's an arranger. He helped write Hit the Lights and Hit
2: the Lights is one of the best songs in their catalog. Sure.
1: My question is- He is a great arranger. Jump on the Fire, Phantom Lord. Metal Militia. Metal Militia. I find it hard to believe... Now, listen, I'll, I'll defend Mustaine mildly... And in mechanics. ...by saying, if they're going to re-release this, should Dave give up some of his percentage to Lars Ulrich? Probably not. Now, other, other question here is, did Lars, as he's done with every other fucking Metallica song, did he originally, when they wrote these songs, was he sitting there arranging... Was he doing the Lars thing where he's like, Dave, yes. that's fucking great. James, that's fucking great. Let's put that over here and put that over here. The answer is yes. I, and you know what the proof is? The song Motor Breath
2: only has one credit. Guess who that is? James Hetfield. So if the whole deal was Lars gets arrangement credit, even if he didn't do anything, just because that's some sort of handshake deal. Yeah. Like, Lennon McCartney had a handshake deal. Yeah. Everything they did in Beatles was Lennon McCartney. Even though any student of the Beatles knows, they quit writing songs together. Real early on. Right. The song Give Peace a Chance, which is John Lennon in bed with Yoko Ono, is credited as Lennon McCartney. That you is true. I think crazy. Paul had a single fucking thing to do with Give Peace a chance.
1: You think he was in the bed with him?
2: That was at the end. Very end. Now, so Dave's idea is like Lars takes credit where he's not due. And I'm not I'm unwilling to do that. Even though, guess what? Hypocrisy alarm. Beep, he did it for Kill Em All all these years. Yeah. He did it for the Kill Em All reissue. Right? Right. right. He says he wrote Jump in the Fire, all every bit of it. That's credited to the three people, Lars included. Same with Phantom Lord, same with Mental Militia. So that fucking cocksucker- So
1: why all of a sudden now with- Right, now he's all principled, right? Yeah. It doesn't add up. He's full of shit. So he-, yeah, he, he, he he turned down the No Left to Letter box set. Said, no, we're not well, fucking doing deciding
2: it. deciding sm- just I'm yeah. not
1: giving up this, this, and this. But blah, blah, blah. I'm not giving anything to Lars.
2: Although he did for Kill em All.
1: Now, here's a question. Even though it's the same song, different recordings, are those two different deals as far as publishing is concerned? No. They shouldn't well, pu- be, right? Publishing is it, publishing. Because it, it's the same song. Yes. Rerecorded doesn't make it a new publishing C- thing, correct. right? Like if all of a sudden Metallica decided to cover one of my songs, which I'm sure they will one day. Um... It's not a new publishing deal. Rerecording, it changes who owns the master. That's right. all. It doesn't change right. the publishing. Right, so the original master of, of, of these, of No Leather, is probably owned by Metallica. Yeah, because they recorded them in Rob McGovney's garage.
2: Right. Um, or they belong... Uh, yeah, or... Brian yeah. Slade, maybe? Uh, Slagle. S- S- Brian sladeus Sladius? Slagle. Maximus? Well, he owns, he owns probably the master of the Metal Massacre release. Right, right. But, but, the, but the point is... The point is, you actually have hung out with Dave mistake. I have, yeah. Been a and long time. And he bragged yeah. to you about how much money he has made yes. off of, I think you guys specifically were talking about... Creeping Death. Well, he didn't co-write that, but Creeping Death he, sold he, a lot of copies of Ride the Lightning. Right. And he has co-writes on Ride the Lightning and Call It Cthulhu. Totally.
1: He didn't He didn't specifically say, like, I've made a lot of money off that song. Right. He said,
2: Cause the OC do you know Super how much Tones- money I have?
1: Yeah, my old band, we've talked about this in, in the past a while ago. Our, our first couple records, there were intros, like, well, the first one was Am I Evil, which isn't metallic anyways. Right. But then the second record uh, was Creeping Death. third mm-hmm. record was the um, uh, Damage Ink. Mm. And, uh, I've not heard that. I'd like to hear that. You can. <laughs> you can. I can play it for you. <laughs> you can. It's available on iTunes. It's available on 99. iTunes right now. Uh, well, technically I didn't play on that record, so I won't get anything, so don't even play it. Okay. Um, but yeah, when I mentioned it to Dave Mustaine to his face, I asked him, I said, would it be weird for you to be side stage watching us which he was in phoenix arizona we open with the rift of creeping death and go into our song it's just kind of what we do and he looks at me and literally he said he goes dude i don't care he's like do you know how much money i've made off those guys all right yeah okay so let's pause there
2: so i i'm not a Megadeth fan i try to be respectful we wanted him to come on the show and talk about the legacy of Megadeth and his early days in metallica mm-hmm. he declined so it's, we wanted it, to
1: talk about him.
2: Well, the gloves are off. The gloves are off for me, because I'm not a fan, and I think he's a total fucking asshole. Now, the hypocrisy of this whole thing you're saying, he's bragging about how much money he's made. Obviously, the guys aren't trying to The Metallic guys, who, by the way, have not responded to any of this publicly. They never do. Which, what is that? That says a lot to me. A ton. Now, the, another big tell is, in any type of the, the logic of arguing, if you've been embroiled in arguments for a long time, which I have um, If you're making an argument That that is solid Here's what you don't have to do To drive it home Is insult the other person Right Now We're going to get to more insults In a second But here's what he said two times If James wants to give Lars credit Because he's afraid of Lars Because he's afraid of Lars He does it twice He says James is afraid of Lars Now We learned this In the Some Kind of Monster documentary But I think we all probably Knew it all along I don't think James Hetfield is, Is afraid of Lars Ulrich I don't think Lars Ulrich Is afraid of James Hetfield Right those two dudes built this fucking band together, which, which is
1: why there's there over the years has been a constant headbutting battle with them, and nobody comes out on top. It's even, and that's what's that's actually probably
2: the, they're the Lennon the big, and McCartney of metal, and that's one of the big reasons that they're so great. Is, right. is they have that yin and yang exactly. I think they respect each other, and I think they've had to find ways to make sacrifices to make each other's personalities work. Sure, whether it was James, I can only record four hours a day. Or let Lars decide the set list because Lars is a control freak and Lars right. knows
1: every city they've ever played. Yes.
2: Uh I think
1: there I think I think James and Lars's conflicts over the years are the reason we have such great songs by this band. And we have and, and the reason we have Metallic and we have them to this day in 2018. If like one guy buckled and the other one didn't, I think it'd be a totally different band. If James buckled to Lars, he was afraid of him, quote unquote. He was afraid um, of him. Or if vice versa, I think this band would be completely different. One person would get their way more than the other, and that wouldn't fly. It just really bums me out
2: that, because I'm not a, as I said, I'm not a mega fan, I'm a Metallica fan. Now, I appreciate that Dave wrote Jump in the Fire, and he wrote Metal, Metal Militia is my least favorite Metallica song, including Purify from Sandinger. I'll say that. Wow. But I appreciate that he wrote it. I appreciate the mechanics. I think they made, I think James made it way better. Mechanics, yep. I think, sucks
1: lyrically. The me- yeah, the Megadeth mechanics as most of you probably have heard. The lyrics are totally fucking stupid. really 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 fast first of all, which and maybe this is me just having heard Four Horsemen for so much longer. Um it's just it's way too fast. You're right, lyrically it's not as great. Um But but I'm trying to be cool like I appreciate it, right? Of course. But it bums, I love his contribution to this band.
2: But it bums me out that the reason I can't get this expanded box set is because of this dickhead. Yeah. Who takes the money Who's been taking the money for 30 fucking years Yes he has yeah And now he's just suddenly principled So all right. so I I think we've kind of burnt that down Have we Now not stopping there He was asked Asked if that means that there will never be another concert Featuring the so called big four Of 1980's thrash metal Meaning of course Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer And Anthrax Dave said Oh I don't know about that that has nothing to do with the Big Four. I think Lars is just afraid to play with Megadeth. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Seriously, dude? Well, first of all, is he afraid to do something he's already done? They played with Megadeth in the 80s. They played with Megadeth in
1: the 90s. And they did Big Four shows with Megadeth. And had a like, powwow backstage and like seemed to work out stuff or even just hang out and talk and chill. Well, I, th- I thought that was
2: actually Lars being really generous and saying... Hey, my son's a big fan of your band. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you know what Megadeth did? They played a one-hour opening slot for Metallica,
1: and they always will. That's just the fact they of the matter. They never
2: will not do that. That's the fact of the matter. And that's actually that's actually what the whole point of this is. Here, here's the whole armchair psychologist summation of the whole problem. Dave Ms., David Mustaine was fired from a band he was in for just a few months. That then went, and it was his fault, that then went on to become the
1: biggest band of all time. Yeah. And he'll just never get over it. Never get over it. And, and never get over the fact that Megadeth will never even come close to touching Metallica. But the thing is,
2: Megadeth, compared to most bands that try to do anything, has been extremely successful. Most bands. Grammy
1: award winning, multi platinum. So, I mean, have sold millions and
2: millions of records. And that's why I submit to you all that what, what Dave is doing. In his never-ending crusade of bitterness and pettiness is disrespecting the current lineup of Megadeth. You think Dave Elvison reads this shit and goes, yeah, that's my guy. Dave Elvison reads this and goes, god
1: damn it. I've also hung out with him more times than Dave Mustaine. Right. One of the nicest, he's so cool, kindest people I've ever met. If you follow Dave Ellison on on Instagram and social media, he, he always posts videos and this and that. Or if you watch a lot of the behind the scenes Big Four stuff, he he's pra- great in it. He practically hosts the. Well, he's damn like the he's thing. like
2: yeah he does kind of host it yeah yeah
1: he's like let's go outside me and so and so have a bet on if it's gonna rain or not I yeah. say it's not going to and he he's says hanging it with is. the Anthrax guys and oh he's he's like the social butterfly and, and honestly I, like when I was in Demon Hunter and uh, this is when Ellison was not in Megadeth. He was working for the guitar slash amp company, PV. He was an artist rep for them. I met him during that time, too. He was our artist rep, and he was super cool. Sent me some cool shit, came to some shows, was the nicest dude. And I'm sure he's the same exact way to this day. Well, and he's no joke as a bass player. He's an amazing... Incredible bass he's, player. He's a, he is a part of the fabric of thrash legend. Listen to fucking Rest in Peace. I mean, there's so many little bass things in there that like are fucking hard to play. And he's got
2: to read this. So I think it's disrespectful to him and that Bro- Broderick guy. All the dudes in Megadeth currently are- Matthew, ba- Matthew Broderick. <laughs> who did Inspector Gadget and Ferris Day off. Then yeah. he, he retired from film industry to uh, play guitar for Megadeth. Yeah, he's really good. But all the guys- Chris Broderick. Co- Chris Broderick. Is
1: that the latest guy? No, no, no,
2: no. That was the last dude. No, Chris Broderick's the dude now. Long, Long, dark hair.
1: No. Chris Broderick was the guy from a band called Nevermore, I believe. Oh, Christ. Should we... Let's do-do-do. No, no. (laughs) I'm serious. His name is like uh, someone right now is going, it's Blas or whatever. If you're in your car, you're on the toilet, and you're
2: mad that we don't know, just relax. We're going to figure it out.
1: Uh, Kiko. (laughs) <laughs> Clint, Clint is just is that, a new child, is that a Disney children children's film? Have you seen the new Pixar movie Kiko? <laughs> His name is Kiko uh, Lario La Okay, so this Broderick cat's older
2: Yeah I don't know why I'm arguing with you about this Because I don't know anything about Megadeth <laughs> Now that Broderick
1: dude, Matthew Broderick great, great, great actor Great actor, great guitar player When I saw Megadeth a couple years ago with Iron Maiden here in Nashville mm-hmm. That dude was playing Dave yeah, he been, was fucking great. Dave's been really lucky that he's been able to
2: have great bands. I mean, Marty Friedman is one of the greatest guitar players in metal, easily. And in fact, you and I have pontificated before, like this whole, d- 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 you know, Pantera two point right? Minus the most important member who of passed who was killed. Um, my my vote for that would be someone like Marty Friedman, yeah, even more than Zach Wilde. Yeah, that was my vote. But anyway, um, so is disrespectful to the current lineup? Yeah, especially Kiko. Especially Broderick, who's not in the band anymore. Uh, it's just disrespectful to the fans who just have to deal with it and be ashamed of it. Yeah. And it's disrespectful to the legacy of Megadeth.
1: It is. Stop it. I, here's the thing. At the end of the day, like when Mustaine's sitting there on his phone and somebody asks him a question or he's in an interview and somebody asks about Metallica and he goes on these rants like this. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, is he walk away going, "Yeah, I told them." Yeah, I think so. Does he really believe that, like, <coughs> excuse me, um, that like a he he told them, yes, and b does he really think that it's going to change like the dynamic of the Metallica Megadeth thing? Like, is all of, are all of a sudden people going to go, "Holy shit, he's right!" Fuck Metallica. We're never going to buy the records again, Megadeth's That's going to be the biggest fan ever. No,
2: I I don't think he thinks that. I think what he's trying to do is, I think he's trying to put markers in the sand. Yeah. Of like when the history books are written, the, it, it, you know, there's now a footnote that he fucking stood up against Lars. He's the only guy who's not afraid of mean old Lars Ulrich. Oh my gosh. So his little Danish friend, and you know, like more armchair psychology. It's like him getting fired from Metallica was out of his control. His alcoholism, out of his control. Mm -hmm. Probably a lot in Dave's life feels out of his control. Sure. Him being able to basically stop this project from seeing the light of day is him being able to exercise some form of control. You think to him that's a win? uh, Yes. In his life? I think it's a big win. I I I think if he can say, everything that's happened with Metallica, including me being fired, them being huge, they may kill them all with who he thinks was a lesser guitar player, Kirk Hammett, which I disagree with. And then they just shot up to the stratosphere All but out of his control And I think it drives him fucking nuts He's finally in control of something In this, in Metallica world Which is this gigantic world now He can control it And I think he's thumbing it Now do you think it also
1: drives him crazy that I know it's a long pause Basically Even though he fought this fight To say I need this You can't take my royalties blah 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 and the fact that Metallica... Well, let's be clear. Think, They're not taking his royalties. They're not saying we're not giving you credit. Right. He just doesn't want to share credit with Lars. He, well, no, well, it would be a less of a percentage for him. Right. That's what he's saying, Correct. basically. Like, Correct. let's say Dave gets 50%, but if Lars is like, well, I arranged it, I should get 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. That means less for James and Dave. Right. Now, I wonder if it's if the reason he's still going on about this like yeah he got his way where it's like this isn't coming out but i wonder if when he originally brought this up and he was really originally pissed about it i wonder if his thought was i'm going to show them i'm going to make this public i'm going to tweet about it all that bullshit they're going to respond and be like okay you're right you're right we're metallica we want to give our fans the best we can give them we're still going to put it out. We'll give you what you want. Do you think it angers him that they didn't put yes, it out? Yes, yes. And I think that's why he keeps talking about it.
2: Right. Because I actually read this really great quote with Lars, and it's Lars taking the high road. They he, always do. So Lars goes, hey, we really wanted to do this project. Um, we ran into some red tape, mm-hmm. and uh, we really couldn't figure it out. And he never named it. He never even – he. there are no jabs. No. He, go, he goes, and you know, James and I decided that this whole endeavor – these re releases and box sets are about celebrating the past and not being bogged down by what's unpleasant, unpleasantries, he says. Right, yeah. So we decided to move forward and kill them all. And again, highlighting the contrast between uh, two dudes who want to give the fans the best they can. Yeah. And one guy who's just all he cares about is his goddamn self.
1: <sighs> it's really frustrating.
2: It, it's so frustrating that, like, we've talked about it too much. We have. But, oh, we no, are, but we are a Metallica podcast. I do feel like... We we've been talking to, about Metallica. We Re- need to weigh in on that because... Of course we do. He's taking shots at the boys and it's just... It, it doesn't hold water.
1: Well, and not only did he, like... Was he cool with, like, the Kill em All box set. He was also cool when they released the, you know, Left to Leather reissue cassette for Record Store Day.
2: How about them playing a lot of songs that Dave co-wrote on Hardwired Disc 3,
1: which we're going to get into. How about the amount of money the lovely Metallica fans have paid over the years for not only this I gotta say but any live recording that has anything to do with Dave Mustaine yep guess what Metal Podcast family Dave Mustaine gets money off every
2: fucking record sold of of S&M Dave got paid for
1: because of Call of Cthulhu yes yes any live recording that uh, anyone has downloaded and paid 10 bucks for or whatever, Binge Binge and Purge Purge. Binge and
2: Purge was huge Binge and Purge went platinum yeah I don't know exactly Guess what- Guess who got royalty checks. Dana what was saying? on that? Four Horsemen was on Binge and Perch*, yeah. So I think actually multiple cuts on that were yeah. Dave's. Did I they, mean, God- They uh, did Ride the Lightning, maybe. Uh,
1: what did they do off of- uh, uh am I blanking right now? I don't know. The movie- um, Through the Never. Through the Never. They did the Ride the Lightning. Yes. Yeah. There you go. That's that's. Dave that. has been making money off this band for a long ass and time. And
2: we know we have insight through our friend Ethan here. He brags about it.
1: He did to so me, and this you. was like fuck 2000. Yeah. <laughs> Two th-
0: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry,
1: man. I'm getting the church giggles because Clint's face a second ago, he looked legitimately pissed off. <laughs> I'm cool. Everything's <laughs> cool. Be cool, bro. Be, be cool, cool, my babies. Be cool. Well, should we just end the episode there?
2: Uh, Thanks yeah, for listening. That was episode
1: 70, whatever we're on. We're retitling it, <laughs> What in the Hell Pisses Off Clint I know that was a long
2: tangent, but I, it was worth us weighing in on, I believe.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we're a bit into the episode already, and we haven't gotten emails yet. However, that was worth talking about. It's worth elaborating on and, and getting into detail on because it's it's still Metallica related. And, and I know. It should piss most of us off. I'm sure there's people out there right now going like, no, the temperature in the for- I still back Mustaine, blah, blah blah, and that's fine. No. I still listen to Megadeth.
2: No, I don't. I, I, I don't think so. Just um, the temperature on the forums, which I don't know. That's just like a small barometer. Sure, temperature on the forums is everyone's pretty pissed off because, right. you know, when we started, when he started talking shit, maybe a year ago, and we covered it on the show, it was kind of cutesy. It was and, fun, but now it's like all these months later, we're all kind of like all right
1: enough God already dude! we it. get it
2: so it's the, temp- the temperature is that it's not cool if
1: he ever decides to be on the show i think that's out <laughs> of course it's out i think that's out. if he ever decides <laughs> hey guys i re- i reconsidered i want to be on the show ask me whatever well i really appreciate it i think what said. we should do is ask him any question that will just get him going crazy it'd be great for the podcast like, hey... Um, I don't think I could be in a room
2: with that fucking guy. So,
1: either. when you did uh, the Some Kind of Monster interview, was there one person you wish was there that wasn't? Elaborate on that, Dave.
2: <laughs> Not a person, per se. I just wish I could have had a hole in the ground to smoke hash through. With my Danish with my friend. friend. My little Dan- <laughs> with my little Danish friend.
1: All right, look, we got to move on. Let's go to page two of our notes, by <laughs> now, the way.
2: Now, here's the deal. We are down to a hard five emails we're gonna do five from now on but we like it because we like to dip in with our fans we like to hear what they're thinking about and a lot of these emails um spur a lot of conversations about metallica which is what the whole podcast is about having said that shall we go now my faithful friend ethan to the email
0: corner
1: let us go All right, our first email is from Aaron Cochran. Hey, guys. Love the podcast. Was listening to the Freeze Mall episode and heard you reference a 54-minute video that deals with the gear and prep for the show. Being a fifth member, I was easily able to find the show itself, but cannot find the video reference. Love the show. Sincerely, Aaron. Um, Literally, all you have to do is go on YouTube and type in Metallica, Antarctica, Coca-Cola. So he's saying, like, I guess what we said on the episode
2: was... You could find that all in the fifth member area of the website, but you're that was that, what you were talking about. But yours was like a YouTube thing. So
1: go My, look, go yeah. look up
2: Freeze Mall YouTube or whatever. Yeah, the one—the
1: one that I found was on YouTube. The one that Clint found that's on Metallica.com right. is what twenty something minutes. It's like twenty minutes, yeah. The one I found is like pushing an hour, yeah. And it's something that like Coca-Cola put out, and now it—it's all English subtitles. Most of it's English, but whenever right. you hear people from South America speaking. Um, if you don't speak uh, Portuguese, or Spanish, or whatever, then you're not going to get it. But um, either way, YouTube, it's, YouTube's where to find it. it. YouTube, it's on YouTube. It's very informative. It's awesome. Thank you, Aaron.
2: Lars s Fogg says, "Hey, just discovered the podcast, and I'm so excited to hear you guys talk about Metallica again in the same way me and my friends did years ago." You know, that's a big compliment of the show. As an aside, here, right, yeah, that it's conversation, conversational, two mm-hmm. buds, which that's what it is. Two butts, two butts colliding. Two
1: birds colliding.
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Uh, he says, I was laughing hard out loud in a store today when I heard the A Year in the Life podcast where you reference the guy with the afro outside the record store talking about Wherever I May Roam. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, it's like, a, I can what, what does he say? <laughs> it's like, you know, a life goes on and on when you
1: die. <laughs> yeah, like, that dude's awesome. Uh, probably Wherever I May Roam.
2: Lars goes on to say, for some reason that really hit home. I hope you guys keep making these, and at some point, I'm sure you'll be sure you'll be able to arrange an interview with our favorite little Dane at some point. By the way, you should plug good old Torben's Didgeridoo project. It's pretty out there. Cheers, Lars. So I f- go on. I found this link, and Torben has a didgeridoo project that I found on YouTube called. Uh, I can't even remember what it's called, but we're about to hear... Torben's Didgeridoo Project? No, it's called like... You know what it should be called? Torben Down Under. It's called something weird. It should be Torben Down Under. <laughs> it's like John Cage's like, far-out piano uh,
1: didgeridoo. Why would a Danish guy play a didgeridoo? Let's just dip in here a bit. Let's of dip in real quick.
2: If you're just here at the music two piano is a pretty old music player.
0: Yeah. So beautiful.
1: I think my inspiration was on that one. <laughs> See, I can't fully do this with a straight face because you, <laughs> you immediately go... Sorry. So I tried to do it off mic. So I was hovering off of, uh, off of my carpet uh, just off the coast of uh, San Francisco Beach. Um, I think I must have just went a bit too far because it ends up uh, down with the crocodile hunter, uh, Steve Irvin. And I have to sneeze for a second one. Pr- <coughs> I was trying to hold back that sneeze. I
0: have to sneeze for
2: a
1: second. Oh. Just for a second. So I was hanging out with Steve Irvin, um, and the uh, singer for Midnight Oil and Natalie Imbruglia. And, uh, and, s- <laughs> and then Angus Young said, uh, Hey, I, uh, would you like to learn how to play the SG guitar? And I said, oh, No, thank you. <laughs> and then I, I heard this noise in the distance, and it sounded like this. I said, "What? What is that? It's not an SG guitar. sounds like I'm starting to get into like John Lennon or Paul McCartney. It sounds like an SG guitar." Um, well, if you want me to play a didgeridoo, Paul, I'll play it. <laughs> I'm so, going to go home and play it. So I heard this noise, and I said, "What is it?" And he said, "It's a didgeridoo." And I said, "I must make, I must make an album right away. I must make an album." So all that to say. Torben made a didgeridoo well, you guys record. go check it out. It's available for purchase. That might, might have been my most random Torben moment. That was good. Was it? Do you. <laughs> didgeridoo you. Oh, do you. I'm going to didgeridoo don't ever do that again. All right. Next email is from Mark Ferguson. So I was in the Safeway parking lot. If you don't know Safeway, that's predominantly a West Coast thing. It's kind of like a, a better version of Kroger. Yeah, it's a, it's a grocery store. Grocery store, pharmacy, this and that. Safeway was awesome. Great, great deli. You love when I say this and that. Because it covers so much. It covers a ton. That's uh, a grocery store, a pharmacy, this and that. A tire shop. Here's a, a bakery. Here, here's a better example. A karate dojo. Dave's been complaining about a lot of shit, this and that. That covers it, right? Everything. You could just say Dave Mustaine, this and that. That's right. Um, blah, 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 blah. And I saw a teenager in a right lightning t-shirt. I looked at him for a few moments wondering if I should ask him if he could name two songs from the album. This happens to me often, by the way. Um, uh, this happens every single time I see someone under 30 wearing a Metallica shirt, trying to get a sense of whether they're a fan or a Hot Topic poser. I cred the podcast, uh, and specifically Clint and, uh, and his asides, for this new quirk of my behavior. Anyways, I've decided there's no way to ask without sounding like a total douche, so I let it go. All right, Mark, here's the thing. Oh by the way he said uh, finishes by saying there's no additional point to the story i just thought you'd find it funny. I do find Which it is, funny. It is funny, yeah. Because i have thought the same thing for many 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 years. Anytime i see someone younger see i wouldn't say under 30. I would say like 21 or younger. But he's right
2: though in a sense that calling it's hard to land the calling them out. Mm-hmm.
1: And i have a story from this past weekend that i'll share. I feel like i could i could um I could dive in like so I saw, if I saw somebody that, like let's say wearing a rather name shirt, mm-hmm. and it just got to me. I was like, "There's no way they know two yeah. songs of their record." And you want to stick it to them? I feel like I could politely stick it to them. Like I'd be like, "Well,
2: because let's face it, they they mildly deserve it." Don't don't maybe like it's okay to
1: wear the thing because you think it looks cool or well you won't know if they deserve it until you start talking to them. You might walk true, up and be like, "That's true." Well, you might be you yeah. might walk up and be like, "Oh yeah." Uh, you like that record, Red Lining? And they'll be like, oh, you mean the one of the Fleming Rasmussen right. masterpieces? Right. Right. You're, you're, like, like, you're cool. Or if you were
2: like, name two songs of Red Lining, they're like, uh, and
1: Escape. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah, motherfucker yeah. knows. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's true. But I feel like if I was in, let's say, a Target, and I saw someone in a Red Lining shirt, and they were browsing the greeting card section. Yeah. <laughs> Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. I'd walk over, and I'd go in the Mother's Day section of the card section, and glance over and hey man, would you just casually say, "Dear Mother, dear Father Earth," and see what they said? If they were wearing a Justice shirt, yes. Yeah, right. But we're, we're true. We're lightning. lightning. Right. Yeah, yeah. Lightning. So uh, I would just you know be grabbing a card and like I kind of do a little chuckling. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Set it down, look over, be like, "Oh hey man, you Metallica fan?" And if they say no to that, instantly you're fucking going down. But if they're like, "Yes, okay, great." Dude, what a great record, right? Red Lightning. I mean, one of their one of their masterpieces. Yeah, I love it. Or say it sounds bad, <laughs> but they could they could prolong and be like, yeah, it's a great record. You are like, damn it. What that I is do, a what, record. That what the do Halle I do? Combine. What do I do next? I mean, what do you think of uh, the production style on that? Rather than just coming in hot, right. and going do you, do you name two songs off that record? Well, no, if you could be like, oh, um, you know, what a,
2: what did they jump? The, with? You know that that bass intro kind of hook on from the bell tolls. It's a shame that Cliff's not around anymore, because he really, that's the essence Who's Cliff? Right, there you go. And then right there, you, ding, ding, ding. you kick his ass. All right, we know. That, well, yeah. then you will murder, death, kill.
1: Right. From, from all demo, of them. From <laughs> Demolition, man. I think even an easy way to it would be like, man, what, what a jump in production from Kill 'em All to that record. Ooh. Let's 'em all. Now, if this, if this dude, uh, did you say it was a dude? Uh, a kid. A kid. Under 30. A teenager. A teen. But here's the thing. When I was a teenager, getting into Metallica, I knew my shit. They, well, not only that, but they, but again, there were probably like, let's say, I was at the mall in Orange County, wearing like my Injustice for All shirt or my, any of my black album shirts. I had a bunch of them back in the day. Let's say some old school dude from the Kill 'Em All era was there with his wife, smoking in the mall because he's fucking doesn't give a shit. And because and look, it's nineteen eighty six. Well, I'm not oh, that, you're talking. Oh, 89. You oh, 89. So let no. Let's say oh, Blackham okay, t-shirts. 92. Blackham. Yeah. Early 90s. Let's say it's 92. But let's let's say there's someone that's 10 years older than I am in yeah. their early 20s at that time. They see like a 13 year old me. Yeah. Wearing a sabbatru shirt. Probably felt the same way. Like, who the fuck is this kid? He's too young to like my band. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I know we've gone on too much about this. I think the same thing. I see like a. A Young Kid in a Misfit Shirt? Name me two songs. Well, I can't help but ask, not even out of testing them, I just
2: get so excited. So this last weekend I was playing at a country music festival in upstate New York. And, um, you know, like the country music scene, it was basically, anytime there's a big country music festival elsewhere in the country, right? it's all of our friends from Nashville. Sure. Because that's kind of just where country music is made here. Yes. So it's almost kind of a fun reunion, because you get to just see all your friends. But So it was kind of like that. We're upstate New York. It was a really fun, wild festival, but it was weird to be in upstate New York playing this music. And I saw a dude wearing a... In catering area. So this was like a dude was either in oh, another... like
1: backstage.
2: He was either in another band, or he was with a crew. And he was wearing a hardwired to self-destruct t-shirt. Now,
1: of what course... What was your first
2: thought? Well, of course... There's something in the snob in me wants to be like. Do you really know it the way See, I know it? You. might I can tell you
1: my first thought would be he knows what he's talking about. That is what that that was my first thought. My if, first thought was oh thank goodness. Because if if you're like somebody that doesn't know anything about Metallica, and you're going to go buy a Metallica shirt, you're not going to buy a Hardwire shirt. It's unlikely. You're probably going to buy like puppets
2: or lightning. Yeah, justice maybe maybe may justice. Some of the more iconic images
1: associated with at Metallica. least I hope so.
2: So I go, dude. Metall-. My first thing was, dude, Metallica, and he was like, yeah, you know, yeah. And I said, dude, Hardware to Self-Destruct, right? So great, right? And he didn't know what I was talking about, and he's wearing no, and his shirt was like four panels, the no. four kind of reddish, weird face panels. Say of Hardware. it, and so
1: he was just trying to be like ironic or and something.
2: It, and it dawned on me, well, I think he, did, I think what he did, which is super forgivable, is he saw a Metallica shirt that he thought looked cool, and he bought it, and now he wears it. Now, did he know... Obviously, he knew who Metallica was. He, he's a Metallica casual. Okay. But when I was like, dude, hardwired is so good, right? He did not know what I was talking about. What are you talking about, man? And it's not like he was just wearing a shirt that just said Metallica. He was wearing a hardwired, self-destruct shirt. I played for Luke Bryan. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I didn't land it. I ended up I ended up kind of looking like a snobby douchebag, because I was just like... I was I was a little sauced. This is... This,
1: this it is was why... after our set... This is <coughs> excuse me. This is why you and I need to be on tour I was kind of hard on him. Because I could back you up. Like, if you ever get in that pickle, like, oh, shit, I'm coming in too hot. I could come in and be like, oh, what he means is. Well, I was like,
2: oh, so, well, I mean, I kind of tried to land it. I was like, oh, you don't know what hardwired is. Like, you're just wearing it because you like the shirt. And he was like, well, I mean, like, I'm a fad, you know. Oh, yeah,
1: like, no, I well- love
2: it. And then there was a guy sitting next to me from a, from a, from another band anyway. He goes, dude, this guy does a whole Metallica podcast. You blew it Don't fuck with that. You him. blew it with this guy But <laughs> right. I kind of want to do a shoe that I don't want that reputation Like it's okay if you just thought it looked cool But I am disappointed that you don't know what it is Only because you should I don't, It's a great record I'll tell you what I don't do And I'm no hero I don't wear shirts that I don't know what they mean Right I'm not wearing a fucking Cattle decapitation t-shirt
1: uh, I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt right now. And I know what it means. It means I'm fucking comfortable, and I'm on da, island da, da, time da, da, right Kanga. now. You know what? It's it's so fitting that we're so far into this episode already. We haven't even talked about this disc three. You know why it is? It's my Hawaiian shirt because I'm on it Ila- brought island a very time. Very loose vibe. No, it's island time, man. We'll get to it. You guys, calm down. We'll get to it eventually. Well, moving on. We're <laughs> gonna hang ten for a second. Our next email
2: is from our new patron. Aurelian from Moreau. Oh, Aurelian. <laughs> says, Hi, guys. Discovered your podcast one month ago thanks to the Bradlingtons and their amazing single podcast theory. Is that their new
1: name? The
2: Bradlingtons? They've been so dubbed that. They have many fans now. That, that the...
1: So dubbed Bradlingtons.
2: I am the godfather of a... The premiere... You are. Pearl Jam podcast, single podcast theory. Yeah. Which is... My one of my best friends of all time in the whole universe through time and space, thank
1: you. But I don't host that podcast,
2: is Brad Lyons. And I got him hooked up with a fan of Melbury podcast, Brad Blazik. And they've started this amazing Pearl Jam podcast called Single Podcast Theory. So it's really um, a treat that fans of that podcast are coming to us now and vice versa. It's awesome. Yeah, we the, support the it. scale on that's probably ninety
1: ten. 10.
2: Ninety ten in Lady in Justice theory. scales. Um, all right, so he says. Uh, so far, I've listened to thirty episodes of your podcast, alternating old and new episodes. I enjoy the ride. Metallica podcast is all caps awesome. Unlike most of your listeners, I'm a casual Metallica fan. I discovered Metallica with the Black album when I was thirteen. Enjoyed a few tracks from Load, but that was it. My friends were listening to the previous albums, but being an alternative rock guy and then a new metal guy. I consider
1: Metallica an old school band. And then I was in catering, and I wore a hardwired shirt, and, and Clint and you came up to me because I'm a casual fan. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that insults casuals though, because I don't feel that way. I don't care. Listen, I don't feel elitist about it. On the road, numerous times on days off, uh, whether uh, whether we're at an arena, amphitheater, stadium, whatever, there's a local hand with a Metallica shirt. I usually at some point walk out and be like, dude, I love your shirt. And they're like, thanks, man. Original from 84. Or they're like, cool, my friend gave it to me. Something to wear. If I see a Metallica shirt and there, there's an opportunity to talk to somebody, I usually engage in it. Anytime me and my wife are out doing whatever and I see someone in a Metallica shirt, I look at her and I go, we should have business cards. It's like
2: when you pass someone driving like the same car you have. Exactly. You, you kind of like want to like,
1: like we're on a team. Yes. And if they sort of ignore that, it feels like a betrayal. So, as you know, I've recently been driving for Lyft Mm -hmm. to make extra money, Mm -hmm. and they give you this thing to put in the front of your car. It lights up so people can see when you're coming. Anytime I'm driving, especially at night when I can see other cars with the same thing, it's the same feeling. I literally, by myself in the car, look over and go, what's up, Lyft Lyft brother or sister? Yeah, or hermaphrodite. It's the same thing. Hopefully, you're a Metallica fan, too. (laughs)
2: It's like when you put your hand on the window and you hope they're putting their hand on the,
1: looking at the same moon. Exactly. Maybe you're listening to Lords of Summer. They're, and they're putting their they're, hand they're, up and it says, not Penny's boat. <laughs> Anybody? God. Lost? Too soon?
2: Too old? T- both. Both. <laughs> Too great. I was just thinking today about what a fucking ripoff Lost was. Mm. What a total fucking ripoff. Was it? First, first season? First, like. H- hold on. Hold on. Shit. I'm not done. Shit. First season, I thought this is probably top 5 most interesting television that's ever happened. It's amazing that this was written right. and produced and acted and that they shot it and it's this good. Yeah. All right. It was a it was a fucking phenomenon, a cultural phenomenon. Totally. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Back in 2000 I think it was like 94,
1: something. yeah, but it, was, it whenever load came out.
2: Yeah. Uh season 2, The Hatch, The Hatch, which it's, I thought where they find Desmond when they find Desmond. At the end, though. Hello, brother. And then Desmond was probably one of my favorites. Me too. Love season him. three was the others. How
1: about Daniel Faraday? Daniel Faraday, yeah. All the Every sentence sounded like a question. Yeah. We need to um, go down to the beach. I'm Ron Burgundy? Exactly.
2: After season three, though, started to get dicey, and it yes. never got better. It, it In fact, it got worse and shittier. And it was like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Well, there was a writer's strike. Uh, I
1: can't blame that. Oh, uh, there was a writer's strike. During that writer strike, what I heard was uh, was uh, Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams, yes, and the Sylvester producers alone, and Rocky Balboa, and uh, and, uh, and Ivan Koloff, and Hakeem and Simi. Exactly. exactly, they got together <laughs> and Randy Watson <laughs> and Randy Savage. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, Randy. How's, How's that, Savage? <laughs> oh. <gasps> a hybrid character.
0: I believe the children. <laughs> I
1: believe the children are a future. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me tell you this. Let me tell you something, brother. Teach him well. Let them lead the way, brother. Doing a, doing a Randy Savage voice hurts so bad. Oh, yeah, Randy Watson. Does it hurt so bad that it hurts so good? Oh, fuck. <coughs>
2: All right. Hang on. Let me, let me, let me Let's let me, not. Let's not follow through any tangent we
1: just started. Because we could go on for a no, while. there's nothing good there. Where are we at now? An hour? Yep.
2: This is going to be a long episode, folks. <laughs> Just strap in. Okay. Um, Aurelian says, uh, In to- 2006, I attended the German festival and Ring. The lineup was amazing. Guns N' Roses, Alice in Chains, with the cameo from James on Wood. That, which you, I've seen it, that performance. It's amazing. it's amazing. It's great. Corn, Deftones, Placebo, Tool, Depeche Mode, and Metallica. I attended the Metallica show without any expectation, and I've been blown away by the band. There were so many good songs I'd never heard before. The show was flawless. I then discovered the back catalog and its gems. In 2012, I bought a ticket to see Soundgarden, close to my hometown in Luxembourg. The show was canceled because Metallica had asked Soundgarden to open for them at uh, at a one-day festival in
1: Belgium. Oh, Verkter. Rock yep. Verkter. Have you probably done that festival? Twice, yeah. It's one of the best festivals in Europe. Oh, twice. Yeah, no big deal. World Traveler. No big deal, yeah.
2: He says, uh, however, we were offered tickets for the festival. That time I was able to see the black album played in full and reverse. Yes. Unforgettable.
1: Great, Fuck. great.
2: Metallica's done some cool shit in Europe. Yeah, of course they have. Um, he goes on to say, listening to your podcast. I've already learned many things about the band, and I'm looking forward to future episodes. I love the chemistry between you two. And I want to point out how you are super understandable. <laughs> are we? <laughs> for a non native English speaker like me. Cheers from France. Aurelian. Listen, man, you think we're understandable? Oh, I want <laughs> to <tell> you, I'm <laughs> to Tom. Shout out to Shout out to Boom hour. Well,
1: I'll tell you what. <laughs> boom hour. That's what I was about to go into. Well, I'll tell you something, my man. That's, that well, hour, man. That's to to out out the thing over there. That's more. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, man. Not bad, man. Beer. Boom hour. One more email. Good God. The longest episode. where we are. Uh our last email is from Oliver. Oliver. I read it all like Turner Duckworth. All right. What's up, brothers? Last time I wrote to you guys, I forgot to tell you that I that you uh have a faithful listener in Spain, New Jersey. Anyway. Right, right. Right. I listened to your Rick Ribbon episode and I loved it. I really loved it. It was alright. Um this Rick Ribbon episode goes to ten do with goes to eleven. This lipstick the Rick Ribbon goes to eleven. <laughs> Uh, and I loved it as I do all your episodes, but I especially like the one, uh, this one because, uh, I feel like I read this better in a British accent.
2: Yeah, you definitely. And I
1: loved uh, loved it as I do with all your episodes, but I especially like this one and the Bob Brock one because I have planned to move to Scotland and study music production. There are many Rick Rubin albums that have introduced me to the world of metal. So he is a very big influence on me. I find that voice extremely soothing. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Tits up. Where everybody knows your name. It really is kind of nice just reading that in a British accent. Yes, I know. I wonder if I should read... I think, because a lot of times I stutter through emails. I stutter in general. But... You don't stutter in general. That's not true. Pay attention. (laughs) Pay attention. Um... But normally it's like I think I try to read ahead and I get kind of jumbled up. When I just read like this, it's like, well, what's up, brothers? Last time I wrote you guys, I forgot to tell you that you have a faithful listener in Spain, New Jersey. No stuttering. It's like the king's speech over it. This get, is like... It's my therapy, I guess, right? Right. Oh, this one's called Lick My Love Pump. Saddest of all keys. D minor. What well, do you say? We, uh... Skedaddle <laughs> out of the old poetry corner. Yeah, you know, I think it's just like, you know, just like... Head down to the pub and just forget about the fucking emails. Tits up. Well, if you want me to forget about the emails, then I will. Paul, if you want me to get a limo, get out of the email corner. I'll do it. I'll do it, Paul. Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal of Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans
2: of the show to give back to the show, to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've
1: actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Black End which is the official Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority
2: email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive
1: merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects that Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out, patreon.com slash metalupyourpodcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. And if you really think about it,
2: $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee. A month, so go check it out. Thanks, everyone.
1: Peace. Adios. All right, hardwired disc three. All right, so let's, let's jump this. in.
2: Yeah, so the third disc, as we said before, it was originally going to be this Riff Origins disc. Um, and they had a press release, and I'm going to quote this press release, okay, because it kind of explains it better than we could sum it up. And this is, I imagine, it's Lars. It was like on the website, but it sounds like Lars to me. Well, yeah, I mean, he's the he's the, kind of the, the spokesperson, right? Exactly, yeah. He says, as we were in the 11th hour of wrapping up Hardwired, it dawned on us that we've never shared with you, in any sort of cohesive, official manner, the extensive covers we've worked on since Death Magnetic, which, remember, tomorrow goes all the way back to, like, 9 mm, yeah. Uh, he says, while digging into the bonus options to complement the 12-song album with additional material, we realized none of our versions of these songs from our favorite and most respected artists have been readily available on our very own Blackened Recordings. So... The thing about Riff Origins, someone recently emailed us and said, you know, what do you think about the missing Riff Origins demos? Right. Because, you know, Death Magnetic had Demo Magnetic. Yes. But they're doing these videos now that we've all seen. We're going to do a whole episode on this. Of making ofs. Right. There's like a two and a half hour documentary on the making of Death Magnetic and Hardwired.
1: Right. And that's kind of the Riff Origins. I mean, that's really what it is. Like, you watch those things and you see how it begins... Uh, yeah, it's, it it's, it's yeah, it's Hetfield sitting there and like oh, I got this riff, and Lars is sitting there going, "Uh, maybe yeah, I love that riff. Yeah. Maybe I can play this. Maybe play that next riff. Let's let's move that riff to here." It's their whole process. It's and, how it's how and, James and, writes and Lars arranges.
2: Absolutely, and 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 even how Lars helps with solos. Yes, and maybe maybe people who don't know, but I, I can tell. Like it covers a large passage of time. Like we're talking years. Yeah, where they'll put together. Like let's say they put together Atlas Rise. Some of them, Lars has a full beard, <laughs> and some of them oh, has clean-chained. Right, exactly. Meaning, they're covering pre-production, them, them basically writing it and arranging it, mm-hmm. all the way through. They usually end it with James cutting a vocal, yes. which they do vocals last. Right. So they're covering the whole process. Yeah. So almost having... Which, how grateful are we that the Met They fan, document all that, that stuff. They, because we're, it's better than demos. It's It's better than... James Hetfield farting out hardwire with no lyrics in his like, hotel what a, room. Would it be We're cool seeing to, it from start to finish, right? With great audio
1: and great video, right? I mean, what other band does that? I have? don't. I don't. I I, I can't the, think. I I, know, can't I, don't, think, I can't think of any. Me neither. But I mean, to me, I'd much rather see what you can find online, which is what you just described, mm-hmm. rather than audio on a disc. But you can't sit see. in my car where it's just like. Riff, 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 I messed up. me farty, stupid exactly. shit. Where like, you're trying to work it out. If I'm going to hear that kind of stuff, like a whole a disc of riffs and ideas, I would much rather have a visual to go with it, yeah. which we have. Yep. So to me, it's like this disc three is almost more necessary than what it originally was going to be.
2: I think we're very lucky they decided to make this disc three. They kind of gathered up their official recordings. Mm-hmm which ends up being four. Right. But one's a big 10-minute medley. Sure. And then they took a really cool show. Oh, yeah. And then they put on the debut of track one of their new record. I know. so Awesome. um, I'll take it. uh, So tracks five through 13, as we've just uh, intimated, as they say, was recorded live at the Rasputin Music in uh, Berkeley for Record Store Day. Been there. On April 16th, 2016. And they were the ambassadors of Record Store Day. Now... One of our early friendship moments was on Record Store Day in 2015. Yeah. Where we had just met, actually on the Mayfield tour. We The tour started with a weird secret Nashville show. Yes, yeah. In a loft somewhere.
1: It was in... Where uh, was that? M- uh, Marathon Village. Okay, right. Where Marathon Music Works is, yeah. and there It was, was a, in some loft or whatever. It was like, or like a weird, it was
2: like a secret show, and it was cool. A bunch of our fans came, and me and you... Well, I didn't know you at the time, but me and Matthew and Paul... Met you at a bar right by. Was that pa? a bar? Uh, pa- hold on, hold on. I'm gonna be t- totally serious right now. Okay.
0: Paul. Paul.
1: Thank you. He's not here. He's not here. <laughs> he's not in my house right now. It's weird.
2: But we, it was a bar that like, was it some friends of yours or something. Uh, on that n- bar?
1: N- uh, no, uh, that was the first time I've ever been there. Actually, uh, it's, oh, called, okay. it's called William Collier's. It's attached to a venue called Marathon Music Works. It's back when we were smokers, we were smoking out there. <laughs> back when we were smokers, like what two months ago. <laughs>
2: Well, so that so that show happened. I met Ethan. We hit it off. We became fast friends. Oh yeah. And then record store day was coming up, and I was going on tour. Actually, what, was, a couple weeks later, if that. I think I was in town, but I was in line at. Um, you were about to leave town, though. We were at the Groove, and I had to leave town that day. I was at uh, a place called Fond Object. You were in, Fond Object in, in, in Riverside Village, yes. And I was texting you, and you, I was like, "Dude, we're like
1: in line for like an hour. We're not going to make it, right?" So, so in easy, for Record Store Day, if any of you guys who are audiophiles, Which, vinyl nerds, know, we should camp out in Record Store Day for a minute because that's how important it is. It is important. Yeah. So, in general, you know, if you guys know Record Store Day, it's a big deal amongst vinyl nerds, and it's about six years old. It's been going old. on for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It, it's become this amazing thing, and they do it twice a year. Technically, the, the big one is in spring, It's in and April. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 smaller one is during uh, it's. Uh, Black Friday essentially right? They do a big Record, record Store uh, Day thing there so um, Clint's texting me on Record Store Day he's at The Groove Ooh. which is a great shop East Nashville great shop and also in East Nashville is a place called Fond Object over near my house and my address is uh, tw- <laughs> and my urine sample come is come to my house um, anyway so Fond Object is close to my house I discovered that year I decided to go to that shop first Fond Object but, like, no one went there. No one knew or something. It's a smaller record store, but I knew they were going to have the Metallica no left to no cassette. Well, that was the big get. For, and uh,
2: I, I needed that. I needed the Aguar reissue. Right. Yeah. America must be destroyed or something.
1: So, um, the reason I went there was because they opened earlier than... Because I was hungover and it groove. was right by my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, if you are in East Nashville, if you go north of there to Madison, there's a place called the Great Escape. Right, Great Escape. They actually open, I believe, three hours earlier than any record store in Nashville. Most record store day events happen at like 10 a.m. They start. They open doors, and there are lines out the, the fucking yeah. The line block. flows through. You like Grimey's
2: is uninhabitable.
1: Grimey's I go to in the afternoon to watch the bands. But,
2: I don't go but, there for records. But the records that you want. Because cause what bands do to... Record Store Day is basically a huge um, movement to get people to go buy records at your local record store. And we're talking records like LP's vinyl. Not oh, yeah, just we're like, talking vinyl.
1: Hey, we released this new download no, no, today. Right, like, we're talking
2: vinyl. But What they do, though, is they release very limited edition special shit where, like, you know, for someone like me, it'll be like Rufus Wainwright poses with a deluxe third 180-gram vinyl. Right. But there was only, like, five of them there. Exactly. So I'm calling Ethan, I'm in line at the groove, like in an hour long line. Where they're I'm like,
1: already in Fond Object, I, like collecting going, shit.
2: And I'm going, dude, please grab me whatever, the the no left. I, I think I grabbed I think I grabbed that
1: and Guar. And a Guar. And yeah. uh, you got me a Ryan Adams seven inch. That's right. Which is which is telling of <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, telling of our friendship because I'm not a Ryan Adams fan. I know. And I was like, Fine, I'll do it for Clint. We're only friends of two weeks, but I think I already love him.
2: Well, we ended up, I think my, because I had my kid in that line. I think we ended yeah. up just bailing on that line and just coming there. And I was so shocked to see that you could just walk in yeah. and you would, thank God, you would um grab those for me because I think the, either
1: one or, I think that seven inch and maybe even the cassette were like the last couple. Yeah, the last few. But when I got there, I think I got in line, let's say they opened it, they opened a little bit earlier. So let's say they opened at nine o'clock. I got there at like 8.15 Thinking oh, I'll be like the fiftieth person in line. Mm. I got there and I was like number ten. Yeah, and I was my immediate Thought was like, oh my gosh, like people don't everything in here. People don't realize that this shop has all of the the, the special releases, releases. Yeah. and no one's here. It was right. awesome. The next year it was the same way. Oh, it was awesome. So yeah, Clint was we, we, him and I were texting, and then by the time I was in there, like, hey dude. I see all the shit you want. I've got it, and he was like, "I'm bailing on this place." Yeah, we split. Yeah, so Clint came over to Fond Object, met me. I charged some interest, of course, because you know it's it's my One time. It's my time. Well,
2: I guess the whole point of that is to Ethan and I are vinyl lovers, and yeah. uh, you, you can I think we both have a discogs. Are you on discogs? Oh yeah. Okay, so it's d i d i s c o g s dot com. And it's a way to like, you can like track your own collection. You can see other people's collections. You can, I know our friend Alex Finney, who's a patron of the show. He like sells shit
1: on Discogs. Yeah. Um, you can get real deep on Discogs. I mean, to the point where like. It's uh, a rabbit hole. You can go deep on all you can, this. You can do buy sell trade. I mean, I've bought stuff off there, like rare pressings of whatever from Japan or like one of my favorite bands is called The Living End. And there's one record that I didn't, at one point didn't think was even pressed on vinyl. And I found it on Discogs and I bought one from Japan. Same it's deal that for, nerdy. Well, same deal for me, but way less cool. There's a
2: late 90s live record called The Distance to Hear. Okay. And if, for those of you who know about vinyl, the 90s were a very um, wasteland era because CDs were king and mm-hmm. they just didn't press vinyl. Right. But one of my favorite, li- I'm a huge fan of the band Live, and they made a record called The Distance to Hear, and uh, that was on my watch list. I ended up finding it. It was some kind of Japanese Her or European. The placenta
1: thing. falls to the floor.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's lightning crashes. That's from throwing copper. I'm talking Rich, about. Uh, I can sent you hear you.
1: the
0: dolphins cry? <laughs> See the earth rise up to me.
2: Do
1: you remember? I think two summers ago, I was still out with Kings, and I was and at a festival did? in Europe, and I was watching live from side stage, and I texted you and Paul.
2: But was it with Ed Kowalczyk, or was it with the other lead? Oh no, no. it was
1: like a OG dude. Uh, oh yeah, so Ed was, Kowalczyk. Yeah.
2: The, even even the, I do remember that. You were like in Europe, right? Yeah. I was probably blowing you up like, Fuck. It was the
1: same day. I watched them. I watched Prophets of Rage that day. It was a great day at a festival. It was awesome.
2: And then you do like a... Uh, Blow, yes. No, I did not do Blow. The band, uh, Jimmy Eat World. Were they there? Yep. Yep. I remember that.
1: Yep. Was that two years ago? I think two years ago, yeah. It's all a blur these days. All
2: right, Christ. Let me try to wrap this up. So the point is... So that was hardwired. Just three. The point is for Metallica to be ambassadors of a record store day, it hits home for me in terms of like the heroism of them, just tracing the thread of them being heroes my whole life because they're basically advocating
1: for people buying physical media. Yeah. It's really like an old school way of just saying, like, look, this is how it all started. You should buy this format because it's so cool. And there's something getting
2: lost in the sort of digital marketplace where it's nice. There are algorithms now that will analyze what you listen to Mm -hmm. and they'll curate for you oh, hey, if you like Courtney Barnett And Nico Case and Jesse Balin, you might like these records. And in some ways, that's more incisive than anything. But what you're missing is walking to a record store, feeling like most music lovers, kind of isolated and like an outcast, and then sort of finding your people and finding a record store that you trust and having these people physically face to face and even like putting headphones on your head mm-hmm. against your will, listening stations, listen to this, curating for you a musical experience. Yeah, exactly. It's so important, and it's getting lost. I'm, you and I both are very lucky to travel for a living, where we can go visit all these places. Mm-hmm. My yeah. my current band, we go to a record store every fucking day. We're on the road. We find it. We Uber to it, or we oh, take it's so a fun. Yeah,
1: flip through records is so awesome.
2: What's really cool is on um, com. you can go to this when they're... Uh, it's kind of... I don't know where I found this on their website, but when they're ambassadors, they all did these individual videos, right? So I kind of broke this down. So And real quick,
1: by the way, uh, the ambassador thing. Yes. So the people that, that started Record Store Day and, and maintain that, mm-hmm. every year they appoint some artist as ambassador. One right. year is Jack this White. Be a spokesperson the, for... Exactly. They're, they're basically... You know, they tell them, Hey, we want you to be Ambassador's ambassador's records for a day. Great. So that person maybe feels responsible, like, I need to do something special. Right. Of course Jack White's going to, he's a big vinyl nerd. Right. But Metallica is straight up like, All right, cool. We're gonna release this. We're gonna do an in-store performance at Rasputin in Berkeley, which, which I can't be- wait to get to that. I've been to. I've never been there. I've been to that store numerous times. My wife is from Oakland, the Oakland area. Yeah. And I've gone to that Berkeley shop. Which is where Berkeley, yeah, Berkeley. Yeah, Berkeley, Oakland. It's all in the East Bay area. Yeah. And um so I've been in that record shop. I've bought vinyl from there.
2: I would say they went above and beyond. I mean they For sure. Oh and, yeah. And what I love is you can see these kind of like these are basically testimonials and all four dudes did this. So James's, he talks about uh the first record he bought was a seven inch of Sweet Home, Alabama. Which I love that. It reminded me of Cliff. Right. It reminded me that even these Southern California soon-to-be metal gods were tapped into this Gainesville, Florida. Like, for those of you who aren't hip to Leonard Skynyrd, fucking deal with the fact that that's one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Sure, of course. Great songwriters, great guitar players. Um, Another thing that James says that I think is very important that I've felt my whole life is he talks about how he he holds up the first Iron Maiden record, which is just like, It's just that Eddie character like in front of a brick wall or something. And he talks about like, I bought this record. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how it sounded, but he's holding the cover and he's like, how could you not buy this?
1: The cover is amazing. And I just,
2: I love the energy of that of like, I've bought records that way, whether it was the title or the cover art where I just thought I'm definitely taking a chance on this because it's so badass. Yeah, exactly. And the, I guess the intrinsic idea there is that like the artwork can be as powerful as the music. It totally can. You talk about something like Master of Puppets, right? Mm-hmm. Where you talked about you yeah. saw the one video, yep. Or maybe you even had Justice. I, no, I hadn't had Justice yet. So your way of going back was, I'm going to buy the one album that just speaks to me through the artwork, and that was Puppets.
1: I saw the one video, and then and then went to a record store. And then, now this is also like maybe a year later. Saw the one video. I mean, at that point, I was like pretty young. Um, you were like thirty two. And- I was yeah, thirty four, and um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I saw the one video, and then but it was one of those things that was like, I can't tell my parents about this kind of music. No, this is terrifying. going to gonna them. fly, yeah, right. They were cool with like, oh Bon Jovi, I'll that's be there. I'll be there yeah. for you. Sure, run that's, away. That's, it's fine.
2: Yeah. Uh, are you talking about? I'll be th- are you kidding me?
0: I'll be there for you. These five words, I swear to you. When you breathe, I want to be the air for you. And fucking I'll be there for you. I'll live and I'll die, die, die for you. you. Be the sun, sun and in the, sky the sky for, for you. Words can't say what love I want to do. I'll be there, there
2: for you. Oh my God. Are, is this about... <laughs>
1: Whoa! Oh my gosh! I think my
2: penis just fell off into the floor,
1: which is fine. Mine is still hitting This I'm so excited oh right now. Oh my god! We just did all be there for you. We did the whole chorus. Beautiful chorus. It
2: felt kind of like we should have been in like a mid '90s skating rink doing like a couple skate.
1: <laughs> Didn't it kind of feel like that? Um By the way, I'm, I'm not even a side note. As a matter of fact. I would be so down. I've got some inline skates right back here. <laughs> My rollerblades are right over there. I would, I, If you and your wife and your kid were ever like, hey, we're going to the Brentwood Skate Center here in Nashville. I'm not going to have to pull your leg. Do you guys want to come? <laughs> I would call. I would call. Clint. Like
2: immediately, it's like, you're like knocking on the door. I've been Clint? waiting for you to
1: ask. <laughs> I'm already here. I've been waiting no, for you to ask. Honestly, that. I, I would be like, uh, yes, we're going, first of all. And second of all, we're going up to whoever in charge of the music. Can you put on I'll Be There For You by Bon Jovi for a couple skate? I got I, I have to skate with my co-host. And kind of the pass to. out, like yes. long arm. Or just holding hands and just swaying back and forth. Man, I'm in. I'm so in. Dude, I'm in. Maybe a Metal your Podcast roller skating rink party. Maybe that's where we do the pre-party. We were just talking the pre-party the food, for the Nashville show. could in- be cool, but what about a roller skating rink? We, we roller skate foobar, to Metallica and that foobar. one song. It's not Foo Bar.
2: It's
1: Cobra. I still call it Foo Bar. Do they dig that? They probably don't dig that. It used to be called Foo Bar. Ethan and I were
2: just talking. There's the so Cobra. many people that have committed to coming to our pre Nashville party in January of 2019. We might have to move the venue to a bigger spot. Well, the only and pro- the skating rink might be fucking awesome.
1: Well, the only problem moving venues is that uh, Metallica is probably loading in that night before. So we can't do Bridgestone Arena. We can't do the 20,000 seat. Exactly. Spot. Yeah. Well, maybe the, the stadium will be free. Oh, Vanderb- oh it's football. Vanderbilt it's, Stadium. It's football, stadium, uh, football season, so who knows? Oh, crap. Um, I guess we'll have to do just a slightly bigger club than Croquet. Fairgrounds, I guess. I don't know. Anyways. All right. um bon- All right, so where were we? Bon Jovi. Um,
2: <laughs> so they do a James montage, and I, I did like that because James is like, some of you buy records because they look cool, which I think is important. Yeah. There's a, there's a spirit of that that I think
1: is important. Yeah. Oh, I never finished that. I loved one. Took some time and then I felt confident enough to buy a record and I was scrolling through the Metallica section at the warehouse in California mm. and I saw Injustice for All. Before I realized one was on that, I scrolled and saw Master of Puppets and the artwork. I was like, that's the yeah. one I need. And, I, and it was the long box CD. Yep. It was fucking awesome. And how cool is it that like you sort of
2: randomly chose probably the greatest pound for pound thrash metal I didn't know the time. ever
1: made. I had no idea the time. Yeah. I knew one and that was it. That's why this band is so amazing. I know, right? So, the next
2: video is, is I now love, this is probably my favorite of the four. It's Rob Trujillo and his son Ty. And I love, like, bass player of corn. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. A, a once bass player of corn for one yeah. tour. Yeah. I love just as a dad seeing how Robert, as a dad, is trying to bring Ty into it. Because Ty's right. kind of being a shy 11 year old. Yeah. So they're talking about their love for vinyl, how historic it is. And Rob talks about how there's so much energy in all the works of art, meaning what we were saying earlier, not just the music, but the the layout, the artwork, mm-hmm. so much love. It's a whole package, yeah. There's so many records that the imagery of the artwork is just you can't separate it from the record. Right. Yeah. Blood sugar sex magic for me is one. No, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Nirvana Nevermind. Absolutely. Um you know, for me, like Pearl Jam, uh, 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 well, many of their records, but like the first three for me was like Vitology and Versus and Ten. Ten Versus and Ten, yeah. Ten, I mean, them was, all putting their hands up. Yeah. You know, what else is there? Um, The creepy first Black Sabbath record.
1: Uh, A ton. Uh, Seasons of the Abyss by Slayer for me. Um, yep. Def Leppard High and Dry with the diving into the empty pool. Yes. There's, there's so many records out there that, like, pre download era. Where all you had to do was look at that. You just looked at that, dude. The
2: Guns and Roses appetite of the cross with the fucking five guys. Yes, and you were. I would just look at it and go, "That's Izzy. That's Axel right. slash
1: Duff." Even the original pressing with that that very graphic illustration of a what is a rape scene. Yeah, but well, that out, was like it, a piece of art. Yeah, it turned out robot. To be an anti-rape thing. Right. I have both covers on vinyl. Right. I have the original and the right. censored cover. Yep. Um, I mean, not to get too glammy, but like. Don't talk about Poison. Are you going to do Poison? Yes. I only bring it up because of vinyl and artwork. Open up and say, ah. That was Clint falling asleep, by the way. That was Open a up story. and say, ah. The, this is how crazy how like censorship was back then, too. The original cover... The smell the glove. ...was a dude with like big, glammy hair and a tongue that was literally like eight inches long. Oh, it was a Kiss record. And that's it. Right. It was basically James Simmons. And that was... Like banned, and they had to censor it. Hmm. But I remember getting that when I was young, like before I got into Metallica and stuff. Like glam rock was somewhat safe for some reason. Like, why did my mom think that like Bon Jovi and Poison and Rat and Cinderella were okay? But no, not Metallica, right? Not the guys that are just scarier looking, right? Oh no, you can listen to the guys that are basically like doing the most debaucherous shit on the right. planet.
2: It's like the glammy, stupid shit was more acceptable, but yet it more seems de- safer, but maybe? more debaucherous. Whereas Metallica looked scarier and maybe sounded scarier. But I think the lyrical themes of Metallica records make people better people. I think so, too. I also think that, like... The futility of war, um, you know, like um, Dire's Eve, the meaninglessness of beliefs that 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 distort and pervert reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, blackened about the conscientious about the environment. Right. These songs actually make disposable heroes about... You know, the meaninglessness of sending young people off yeah. to die. These are good
1: values. They're good values. I think back in the day, like, my parents were probably like, that's super dark. Not even lyrically speaking, just the imagery the and cure the was sound. probably darker than that. Probably. probably. But even just, so imagine being a parent like, you know, back, back in the late 80s and, and your kid's like, check out on Justice for All. And your parent listens to it. All they probably think about is, like, they sound evil and it sounds fucking dark. Yeah. Then you listen to Poison, you're like, oh, it's fun. Talk dirty to me, down, did it, down, did it. Exactly. It, it's it's super fun, goofy music at the end of the day. It's party music. So all that to say, that's episode 78,000. Well, Rob goes through some of his favorite records,
2: which I like. He does a picture disc of No Mercy. He does Motorhead, Ace of Spades, Weather Report, Rick James, Master of Puppets. He, uh, first of all, I love that he has Rick James in there. Oh, yeah. Robert's a diverse cat. I think they all Very. are. Very. Um, but I do love that he is intentionally highlights Master of Puppets. Yeah. And even says to Ty, he's like, you know, Ty's a bass player. Right. This is pre corn days. And he's like, who's that? And he points to Cliff Burton. And Ty's like, that's Cliff Burton. And Robert's like, he's the man, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Any other bass player, maybe, other than Newstead, but any other guy that got that gig that was kind of doing that kind of like, Cliff's a man, right? It might come off as like forced. Or like aggrandizing or shitty, right?
1: But when Rob does it, it feels very pure. Like it does, yeah. He's just, hes a fan. He's a fan, total fan. Fan of music, fan of Metallica. I mean, and he seems no so d-
2: grateful to, still, all these years later, to have the gig. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I would. Didn't you feel that way on the World Wire Tour
1: when he would do anesthesia yep. and we would? Just, it was I just, felt like he was up there, like my jaw was open, dude. The like, second he started playing anesthesia and like a montage of Cliff came up. Oh my god! You know that Robert was just like playing that that part on bass probably eyes shut just like yeah i'm honoring what i grew up listening and to. he pl- and he played it
2: note for note in a sense of where you knew that's what it was yeah but he also took his own liberties with it too yes, of like course, yeah. explored it yeah which is what cliff do cliff never that's played would have done cliff never played it the same way twice yep. not a single fucking time exactly i think that's pretty cool yeah, all right did. then we get to lar's now Lars talks about how his dad Tor- Torben, who we know, oh, uh, I I would take him to record stores. Would take him to the Bristol Music Center, and he says Torben would go up upstairs where the jazz records
1: were, but then Lars would go down to the basement where the heavy metal was. My dad, that my just dad did the same thing with me when I was younger. He he took me to. This is actually a good, a good quick story. So when I was it getting, doesn't have to be quick. This could gonna be a four-hour episode. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't care. So when I was pretty immersed in metal at this point. I was probably like 6th, 7th grade, getting into stuff. My dad and my mom were got a little bit concerned. Like, you're listening to some weird stuff. I had some of that, too. So we we, we were a church-going family, and my dad said, let's go to the Christian music store, or Christian bookstore, with these old CDs and stuff, and cassettes. And he's like, maybe you can find something like there, that's like the same style, but Christian. Here's Amy Grant. And I was like, Dad, that fucking sucks. So, Amy Grant's awesome. She's a great no. voice. Great voice, good songwriter. Married oh, okay, to Charlie one of the best people in the world. Well, Vince Gill. Vince Gill, come on. Amazing. Yeah. Well, he's the godfather in Nashville. That's right. So, we we go to this Christian music store. Um, you know Vince Gill's in the Eagles now? Yeah, the Eagles. They're like, yeah, Glenn Frey's gone. Who or could we, we do? Oh, one of the best guys ever? Oh, Vince Gill, one of the best guitar players and singers ever? smoothest voice oh fuck anyway alright yeah so we go to this place I, I'm i pretty sure it was a place in Mission Viejo called Sunshine Books of course it was right well was it spelled S-O-N shine
2: Like probably the of I don't god. remember
1: but it might might have been normal sun but maybe not oh normal like the sun god that sounds pagan that's probably not it mm, probably not S O N. anyway so my dad walks in he's looking for you know like the latest um, like Michael McDonald record or something Sure, sounds good, or what would that have been Keith Green Keith Green, something like that um, so I remember going <laughs> and there was like a there was a section that was like rock alternative metal that was all it said there wasn't like a punk rock section what was in Scott that pet section. striper Petra i already I already knew about those bands at the time, mm-hmm. and I knew that I didn't like it, because I was already past the like high pitched singing. Striper yeah. to me I didn't care I was like no That's not Petro kind of was They were a legitimate 80s band like, They were was kinda... Oh at one point They were huge yeah, in the 80s yeah. yeah For sure Throwing out Bibles and shit <laughs> Exactly Unbelievable Yeah And so I go to this section And I'm just looking for Like the most evil cover I can find Yes love it Now I wasn't like This like satanic kid Like looking None for evil None of us evil. were but we love the most evil shit. Exactly. Like, I was a good Christian boy. I went to church. Yeah, yeah. But I was looking for something that looks that looked similar to Metallica for something with an edge. Slayer. Yeah. Exactly. And? So I find Vengeance Rising, which is basically, they're basically like a death metal band, but Christian. Okay. And it's straight up like... Okay. like yeah, death metal. Yeah. Uh, a band called Deliverance, which to me sounded like an uh, equivalent to Anthrax. Heavy, cool riffs, but high-pitched singing. Mm. Um, I got those two records uh, I think God, i can't remember the name of them uh, the Deliverance one was called Weapons of Our Warfare the Vengeance cool one cool title fuck I can't remember the name of it but it was so good it, was, it said Vengeance Rising and it had it had uh, a chain that was broken in half that was all I remember mm. um, but I remember my dad like we were we were done at Sunshine Books and we go to the register and he's like did you find some stuff I'm like yeah I found two, two things I like I got them on cassette by the way We get in the car and my dad's like, you want to put it on? I was like, and I remember remember they had listening stations and I remember listening to it going like, oh my God, this is like Christian rock music, Christian metal. They're singing about God. It it didn't sound like that at all. No, I mean, I'll take this opportunity
2: to say this because we're kind of in this uh, territory. Um, I was highly religious for about 10 years from 17 to 25, 26. And I was still the same music lover, a Metallica fan, loved heavy music. And I still to this day am a fan of uh Stavesaker. Oh great, man. Yeah. Know all those dudes. I would say the uh the the, the record to check out from Stavesaker is called Speakeasy. Awesome record. Which they made a lot of records, but speak. and I and I like I still listen to Absolution and uh or Absolutes and uh Friction. Yeah. But uh Speakeasy But Speakeasy is my shit. Great record. Project eighty six made a record called Truthless Heroes that I think is fucking yeah. dope. Um Yeah, it was weird. There was a weird time in like 2000 to 2010 where there's a lot of great hard music that was religious i mean that you would God, never I, mean, know. I would say that,
1: i mean way before that too i mean oh well yeah Maybe. i mean so. You, okay so speaking of, of uh well, we've
2: got friends and living sacrifice that yeah, was a cool band totally our friends o- bruce, o living sacrifice i mean which we're gonna have bruce on the
1: show yeah bruce i ran, I ran into bruce at a bar recently you did nice you know, I did. bruce is one of the best people i've ever met he's such a nice dude um i've talked to him numerous times i being on he the show to sell we, me heroin I uh, you know he's been doing that lately it's so weird. <laughs> um Living Sacrifice is one of those bands that when you listen to them you could put them on a show with Slayer and Anthrax and fucking Megadeth. No they're heavy. They well they were heavy. They're still heavy. I mean they're not well, They play like a few shows a year. Yeah, they're not insanely active but like they they still play shows and like those dudes Lance their drummer is a fucking badass. That dude, I'm not sure how old he is exactly. Let's just say he's. We'll say he's 21. He's 21 and a half. Okay. So he's probably let's say he's in his late 40s. Just say. That dude still hits the drums harder than I could ever do. On my best day. He's a fucking boss, dude. It's crazy. We'll have, we'll have Bruce on. We'll play some Living Sacrifice songs. You guys will know what we're talking about. All right. So you were saying your dad took you to a music store and we put it on we put it on the car and he was like. I could tell, you know, even as as a young kid, he was like, "Okay, I hate this one hundred percent, but we it's a Christian band. My son picked it out. We can listen to it." And it was like a five minute drive to my house, so that was like twenty five percent of one Vengeance Rising song. But that that was my first introduction to like, oh, there's like other beliefs, yeah, and you can write music about it. Oh, totally. Well, and that, uh, yeah, I mean, God, where and are it, you? And, and it didn't. And, and I'll, I'll say this: it didn't impinge on your faith at all, right? No, not at all, right? And it also never. At one point, maybe want to like destroy all my like secular CDs. Well, I would say, and by the way, like this is just tangent city,
2: and I don't care. This is a tangent episode. Tom Araya, the lead singer of Slayer, is a Catholic, mm-hmm. and it's widely known that that um, Jeff Henneman, who I believe was the heart and soul of Slayer. And uh, Carrie King write all the music and lyrics, right? Yeah, and Carrie King is obviously a very angry, um, I would submit to you, not super intelligent atheist guy, daddy issues, lots of issues. (laughs) But Tom Maria sings them, right? And he's like, he's able to separate it all. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, what music does for people, you or me, an atheist, a religious person, Paul Moak, who's also a religious person. Matthew Mayfield, who's a religious, Brad Lyons, who's not religious. Um, it just bridges all those gaps. It doesn't yeah. matter anymore because right. it's a universal language. I think what we all mostly care about is being good and true. finding yeah. our way. Of course. We want to make sure our friendships are robust, that our marriages and, and relationships with spouses and shit are good and true. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all on the same road to that. And I think what maybe militant e- atheism and maybe like fundamentalist religion tries to do is like, we're going to try, we're on a team and nary the two shall meet. Right. Yeah. And what music does, it breaks all that down. We're like, it oh, really does. That yeah. doesn't make any sense to me right, because yeah. I would happily go to a Stavesacre show and fucking rock out with religious people. Oh, you would rock out. Well, I have in the middle of nowhere <laughs> Yes. with Coca-Cola. <laughs> Or you, which I know you're a Slayer fan, you're going to go mm-hmm. see them on their farewell tour. Sure, yeah. They're going to be singing about <laughs> the stupidest satanic Angel of shit, death and yeah, and you don't give a fuck.
1: No, and it's not going to. I'm not sitting there. You're not to learning me, your life philosophy no. from Carrie King lyrics. Fuck no. Nor am I, might, I learning I might be, my. I might be learning my like ch- chain hanging philosophy off right. my pants from him. Your porcupine.
2: But, but nor am I learning my true true life philosophy from um, someone like Bono. Right. Who was a hero of mine Sure But who was also Like an evangelical Religious person Yes, yeah No problem Like we diverge On yeah. certain issues The music's still Fucking dope And the biggest messages From that music Are I glean I glean And learn from And apply Yeah
1: of course Yeah The the only kind of music That I would ever be like Even if even if Musically Not lyrically Was really great The only kind of music That I would be like I'm not fucking listening to that Reggae. If it was like cr- Reggae and ska and dub and rocksteady. Some of the music you love the most, exactly. No, but I mean, if if I ever you know was turned on to a band that was musically fucking amazing, but then I like read the lyrics and it was just like just a bunch of hate speech. No, I'd no. be like, you know what, nope, fuck that. I'm no, not. No, I'm no not down I mean. with that. Nope, I agree. Um, some stuff like, like you brought up Slayer. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, okay. If Tom Mariah is in this band, and he's been in this band since day one. And he's a singer. And he's a singer, singing these lyrics, but he's also like a devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. And there's, I, I gotta find it, uh, I can post it to our Twitter account at some point once I find it. There's a video I found a long time ago where it's like, Car- it's Carrie King and Tom Mariah talking about whatever current Slay record, talking about like lyrical content, and Tom Mariah can't stop laughing. Mm. It's almost like a joke to him, or like... Not a joke. I'm sure he takes it serious, but it's almost like just—it's just an act. This is what we do. It's—it's it's, you know—it's like it might as well be the same thing if we're just like you know, it's a random job we have. Like, yeah, I don't believe in what the whole company believes in, but it's just a job. It's fun. I want to entertain people, and I want to be there for people, and I want people to have a good good reaction and a good time with the show. If you believe the lyrics, great. If you don't, I don't care. This is fun. Well, it's theater for th- for slayer, it's theatrical. It's theater, it's yeah, theater. exactly. And- and and
2: the thing is, Tom is right. Like Slayer lyrics are funny. And I don't I don't even know if Carrie King means to write them that way. Right. But they, they are I hate to use this blunt of language. They are stupid. And they're hilarious. But right. they are brutal. Yes. And it matches their music. It does, yeah. And and you know, we're all lucky that we have Tom who, despite his philosophical differences with what he's singing, I guess for whatever reason, Tom can't write lyrics. So, Carrie's the guy. I mean, Carrie's one of the most. Getty m- Lee didn't write li- most lyrics. But Neil Pert is like a fucking philosopher. Dude. He is, but he's not a singer. And not a singer, but, but he wrote but, all but, his lyrics. But Neil Pert, and not, and like, not every. Like, Neil Pert lyrics are kind of like um,
1: Dungeons and Dragons type. What do you mean, Bitor and the Snow Dog? Oh, <laughs> like that one? <laughs> Exactly, Bitor and the
2: Snowdog. Neil Pruitt's lyrics are this strange blend of like, like really great like woodland poetry, and then, but,
1: but also I kind of want to camp out Bitor and the Snowdog for a second. Bitor and the Snowdog. It's like medieval woodsy. Yeah, gallant poetry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez! I remember a couple of years ago uh, when we had a decent snow in Nashville, which doesn't happen often. My friend Kevin, whose favorite band is Rush, is going to love this comment. I hope so. What's up, Kevin? Um, a couple of years ago, when we had a decent snow in Nashville, which isn't often, a decent by snow in the Tall taldry. Wait for it. What are they? <laughs> so I think I took a picture of two of my three dogs like running in the snow. And I took a picture and posted on Instagram and my caption just said, by tour in the snow dog. And let's say that let's just, let's just say there was like 10 comments. <laughs> let's be generous and say there's 20 comments. One of them was like, fuck yeah, rush. Everyone else was like pretty snow, cute dogs. Love by- your yard. <laughs> I love that. They just totally ignored and this. <laughs> <clears throat> I thought I was being clever. I was like, you know, I've liked rush for a long time. I went through a thick Rush phase for about two years. Yeah, it was my first arena show ever. First arena show I ever saw was Rush with <laughs> Candlebox opening. <laughs> I will say,
2: please say it. I recently watched that documentary on Netflix, the Rush one, and it fucking blew my mind. That's great. And our drummer Kevin, who I just mentioned, uh, he's gonna he's helping me sort of find my way through it. And it does very much feel to me like a band that like I've got a lot of time to explore the fridge and all the sauce and I think it's gonna happen to me but it <laughs> what do you know a phase I think that I might I might fall into the hole somewhere I'm kind of avoiding it because I know it's gonna I will say that gonna, Rush,
1: is, Rush is probably the either the the most gigantic refrigerator or let's just say this they imagine when you're on tour and you pull off in some little podunk town uh, in between two shows I've only Day done off, that I've only done that 7 million times I've only done it 7.2 million times Yeah A little older than me I get it Yeah yeah I get it too You know um, Anyways There's like uh, Chains of buffets All over the country <laughs> You might find One buffet like It's like a Las Vegas buffet That's a Rush well, You got is. Golden Corral You got CeCe's Sure Those are all like Most bands Rush is like The most gigantic Vegas buffet You can is find Is it the Mar- Mar-a-Lago Of No, because then it'd be all terrible poison. It would be all false and fake news and stuff. Yeah, they're the real deal. Find the biggest buffet in Vegas you can find, with endless options of food from all over the world, all influences. Zamunda, culinary, culinaryly speaking, is Zamunda represented? It it probably is. Okay, where do you think the snow dogs from? Probably Zamunda from Africa. (laughs) Exactly, a lot of snow down there. Not really. Um But the point we're making back to Slayer is like <laughs> Wait, we're talking about Metallica still?
2: No. Well, we're talking about music. Music, yeah. I guess the idea is you're saying is like what you were trying to get into you were looking for something darker. For whatever reason. Now sure, yeah. you, you could you could I was
1: looking I was looking for something that 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 compared to Slayer and Metallica right. and Anthrax and Megadeth and Iron Maiden and this which, and that.
2: Which I think most people who are embroiled in like, who, who believe you can only listen to Christian music, they got to find
1: versions of all that, right? Where I, it's, that? it's an unfortunate thing in the Christian music world where... There's like we, parodies of that. Or yeah, or like, it uh, sucks. Like, so me and Paul Moke were just joking about this last week.
2: Paul? Wait.
1: Hold on, seriously.
2: For for real. I'm not kidding. Pablo? Paul,
0: Paul,
1: he's still not here. He's not here. Weird. Shit. Um, that was an unfortunate but common thing in the Christian music world. Was if you like this band, you're gonna love this. Here's this. Here's
2: a set. Here's a uh, mm. Christian
1: version of the secular thing. Exactly. Whereas
2: the enlightened path is, I can still believe what I believe. But this is just good. But but instead of listening to some sort of fucked out watered down version of Slayer, mm-hmm. yeah. I can just listen to Slayer. Sure. And get the fucking pure... Because
1: no one does Slayer like Slayer. There's no substitute for Slayer. No, not at all. I mean, really? like, And I will say, of all the big four, there's no substitute for any of them. There true, are somewhat point. similar artists. Like, I like to me, like the band Deliverance, which is a Christian metal band, um, back in the day, that was the closest thing I could find to Anthrax. And the only comparison was cool heavy riffs, high-pitched vocals. Um... Yeah, but the song's got to be good. The song's got to be good. Exactly.
2: That's why Metallica, for me, I had the same deal. I was very religious for a long time and had a lot of friends of mine who were very very smart people Right. who, on their journey of truth, were compelled to get rid of all of their uh, non-Christian records. Yeah, I never did that. I never
1: did that. I I remember asking my dad about it, like, is this something you're going to make me do? He was like, no. My, my my dad turned me on to Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. And my dad was a, like, and to this day is still like a very hardcore Christian. And, <clears throat> you know, when we talk, you know, tells me he's praying for me and all this stuff. That's nice. Yeah, that's cool. He, he's, he's the same guy that will go buy the latest Amy Grant record. Right. But he'll also be like, man, have you listened to that old Freddie King record lately? Or... That old Led Zeppelin record, or whatever, he'll name all all these bands. When he came to visit me last year, when I was with Kings, we uh, did a show at the Forum in L.A. And my dad came to the show, and first thing he said when he walked in the building was, "Man, last time I was here, I watched Hendrix play, and he still talking the and, whole night." And was, God struck it down with lightning
2: and set his guitar on fire. I just never saw anything exclusive about believing in something sacred and liking great music. To right, me, it always right. kind of felt like. Part of the same ether.
1: Right, well, and for me, as someone who believes in God, like, um, I never felt guilty about listening to quote unquote secular music. It wasn't something that I was like, God, I really feel bad for this. Even Slayer, who is like, on paper, like, oh, this is a satanic band. I don't think any of those guys in that band are, are Satanists. Maybe Carrie King. Mm, unlikely. Unlikely, but let's say he is it's very unlikely, but sure. Yeah. Dave Lombardo, no. People who Tom might think Ryo, I'm a Satan. Catholic.
2: Yeah, of course not. Yeah, Jeff Hanneman couldn't give a fuck. Exactly. He he liked uh,
1: being with his family and being quiet and drinking Heineken. And your drinker choice tonight? Jaegermaster did Didn't he have a Jaegermaster guitar? He had a Heineken guitar. Heineken guitar, that's what it was. Well, it was and they wrote Hanneman. That's right. So they do a
2: whole tribute with their show now where they have a the whole like banner, like a back flag. Right, it's, yeah. It's a Heineken logo, but it's Hanneman.
1: Okay. Anyways, back <laughs> to- How long is this episode so far? Where are we at? Right now we're at, and we're pushing two hours. This, this is going to be a long one, folks. This is also pre-editing. This is just the raw well, shit. It's going to be long. And you know what, guys? You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I expect the
2: uh, singing telegram, thank you telegram, uh, promptly.
0: I'll be there for you. These five words I smear on you. When you bleed, I wanna be the frigid death for you. I'll
1: bleed all over you. How about a track by track? Let's get into it. Let's do it. Track by track. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to put a marker there. Now, There's a space. They lead off
2: with what we we t- we talked about in the beginning of the episode. Uh, in my opinion, the most important song on the record, easily not not the only good song. I mean this record is of course, good. Of we, course. we are very lucky to have this disc instead of a bunch of
1: fucking loose demos. I would much rather have this for sure than just like, oh, here's 3 minutes of random Hetfield riffs. Well, as much as I would like to hear that, it's not something uh, that I that I would get in the car and be like, let's put on no, disc 3.
2: No, I think I think I think Riff Origins or demos are fun when you already know the material. And you want to hear like, oh, what what did it start out as? Right. That's a one or two time listen. Of course. Yeah. When I heard, if you guys remember our, um, we did a top 10 covers episode. Yeah. And when A Blind Man Cries, I think was num- my number two. It was up now, there. Now yeah. I only heard, like, I'm not buying a Deep Purple tribute record. I'm not buying a Ronnie Dame- James CO tribute record. I'm not buying Maiden in Heaven. So for me, I didn't hear these songs until, and anyway, th- we read before, that's why they put them on. They didn't right, yeah. have like a place for this. So yeah. Um, the track by track, we start with Lords of Summer, working title, X-Dust, which that's a pretty fun title for, like, Lunar Satan.
1: That would be a good Lunar Satan track. X-Dust. X dust. Like,
2: what does that mean? X-Dust. What was I, it like when it was just dust? I know sometimes they sort of explain why, like, Chai Town, Militia, they demoed it in Chi- in uh, Chicago, <laughs> not China.
1: Well, you know, I've talked about this, too. Like, this is something that when you write a song, if you don't have a title for it, you yeah. create a working title. Yes, but but I like to know the origins of that. Right. Why did you call it that? Like I don't go that in depth with my demos. I usually title it. Fr- most recently, like Reggae Idea yeah. um, no, seven. Dallas, yeah. Texas, yeah. and then the date. Me that's, too. that's not intriguing. That's not nearly as, as as intriguing as X Dust. I know. Maybe I should change that. Well, it, that sounds this to me called, like uh, Sacramento. Water. To, to me,
2: it sounds as, as exhausting and non-rewarding as just naming it anything, right? Yeah, calling it like song idea one, like well, having for, to come up with a cool title is like almost like naming it, but you don't even need to keep well. For that them, title. it's
1: probably like whoever wrote the main riff or, or or the origin of it enough to where it became a potential contender for a new song. That's who probably named it. Like, well, like
2: all nightmare long, for example, to yeah. your to your point a little bit. Yeah. That song started because Robert was playing flamenco style uh, mm-hmm. on an acoustic guitar in the control room of HQ. Right. And the working title was Flamenco.
1: Yeah. But well, that day they probably made some progress on that idea. let totally. It was called Flamenco so that we'll remember that that's the but one. But
2: shit like Tin Shot and Rift Charge and... Uh, these are very
1: creative working titles they're very creative but I would still think that like especially Hetfield like writing some of the best riffs of all time in metal something about riff charge like that something that day happened or something that he wrote reminded him of the word charge whatever that he decided I'm gonna call that riff charge because that one's good that's my assumption maybe he's just making it up off the top of his head he's like um that's a cool riff we'll add this to the long list of things we're gonna ask the boys when we finally do get them in hQ my god in my house
2: if well, if the, the boys uh, ever
1: come here it'll be if they're cool with it' be like a 10 part episode would we do a um would we flip a coin for hq one or two honestly i I think the most appropriate place to do a HQ full four. interview hq four Paul for sure. studio Paul you hear this Paul Paul L- Listen. Oh, hold on, hold on.
2: I just want to see if he's really... I, I know we're joking. We do this whole joke a lot. I just want to see if he's really... Close. Let's find out.
0: Pa! No, he's not here. Pa!
1: He's not here. Fuck, he really isn't here. I was hoping for some footsteps. It's like... Actually, I, I was hoping for... <laughs> um, I was hoping to hear the sound of dreads moving through the air. That would sound like... King, kink king, king. king, kink Um... um. um. HQ4 would be the perfect place to interview the all mighty Metallica, hands down. And we wouldn't do it in the side room; we do it in where we're listening to vinyl no. and stuff. We're doing the tracking room. They do in the tracking room. It would be like it would it would be like when uh, Lars did Last Electric with like Michael Wagner, and then Fleming. You'd be in a big room. Or when
2: they did the Taylor Hawkins Dave Grohl yes. thing with Taylor the, uh... Hawkins,
1: Stephen's brother Hawkins. Dude, I don't care. You don't like Foo Fighters. I'm just trying to tell you that that's his name. I like Foo Fighters. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just teasing. Dude, my hero came on the
2: radio the other day, and my wife was like, She was like, Who is this again? I was like, Oh, it's a Foo Fighters, you know? She was like, Yeah, that's right, that's right. She's like, I thought it was that. I was like, This song's only like 18 years old. Mm, that was Color and Shape. Longer than that. When did Color and Shape come out? I'm guessing 96. I'm pretty sure it's 97. I don't know for a fact. But I'm pretty sure it's 97. Well, I mean, I
1: think the first record was 94. The one with the uh, big no, 94 on it. is, one is one when Kurt Beanie, Co- Beanie Weenie. Or Weenie Beanie Weenie. Remember Beanie Weenie? Also, it's Big Me. No, no, Weenie Beanie. That's Weenie a song Beenie. on the first I record. Know. I know. All right, let me look it up real quick.
0: Big right. Me to talk about it. I know that it's true. Wikipedia. I'll be there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh, Clint, 97. Ninety seven was colored in shape. Twenty one years old. Uh that's first record ninety five. Twenty one years old for that means that Monkey Wrench and Everlong and Hey Johnny Park. And that whole great perfect record. That that's that long ago. Yeah. Here's even more crazy. Maybe not more crazy, but just as crazy. There's nothing left to lose. Yeah. Great record where yep. they went back to a three piece. Yeah, like strip down shit. Yeah. Strip down shit. That record will be twenty next year. What was the big song off that? Nothing Left to Lose? Yeah. Uh, Learn to Fly? Yo, God. Fuck. Huge. Stacked Actors. Breakout. I mean, Learn to Fly is the big one, though. Huge song. Made my way what a great video, to too. Fly. Gracious Their D was videos in it. were so funny. The, the best thing, if you if you guys haven't watched the Foo Fighters documentary back and forth. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good, I've probably guys. watched it five or six times at this point. I've watched it twice. It's so good, and at one point, Dave Girl's talking about the Foo Fighters' history and their videos, and he's like, look, they're commercials.
2: Yes. Like, they're selling a product.
1: Our our songs are serious, but videos, they're just commercials. They're fun. He's right. He's totally right. And that's why the majority, really every Foo Fighters video is either fucking hilarious. They're hilarious. Or so serious that it's so badass, you're like, oh my God. Like, you remember the uh, All My Life video? Yeah. Where they're, I love. They're looking all I love. By, um, um,
2: what was that record called? One by one. Uh, one by one. What was that record called? By the way. By the no. Really it wasn't really by the actually no, no. It one by one. Yes. One by right. one. One by one. That had all my life, and it had uh, times like these. Yes. That times like
1: f- these, they were like they were like under that under the bridge. Fuck. They were under the bridge.
2: I've said this before, <clears throat> and I submit to you, Foo Fighters are the Tom Petty of our generation, in the sense yeah. that if you go to A Foo Fighters show tomorrow And you're like Oh I like uh, Learning to Fly And uh, Monkey Wrench." Yeah You will go to A Foo Fighters show And they will play For two hours And you will know Every song Yes The last time I saw them play Was on the One by One tour I've never seen them Really? Times Like These Might be my favorite Foo Fighters song Next to Hey Johnny Park From Color and
1: Shape Hey Johnny Park's awesome Um, Times Like These dude Especially the Acoustic version Did you ever hear that? Oh yeah Fuck. Off this, uh, they did it on Skin and Bones. Skin and Bones, great. It was a great record. Okay, so. In Your Honor. In Your Honor was awesome. The, so, the, two, the two double discs? Yes. Fuck, so, that's a great band. So on, this, on the one by one tour. Yeah. Um, it came through Nashville, the Municipal Auditorium, which it wasn't the arena. There was already a big this, band. Municipal Auditorium is a shithole. It's a shithole, but it's fun to see a show there. I saw Muse. Because it's intimate, yeah. I saw Muse there. I saw My Chemical Romance there. Um, I saw my dad there I saw my, I saw my stepdad there Which is weird It <laughs> oh, is weird It's really weird Because my parents Have been divorced um, But I remember seeing That Foo Fighters tour there And th- that was the tour They were doing Like their full electric show and That then was like what sudden,
2: 2002 or something
1: No that would have been It was after I moved Back to Nashville So that was probably 06, 07 Okay Um they did their full electric show, it was amazing, and then all of a sudden it was like lights go down. There's like some kind of music video thing happening, and all of a sudden they're like right in front of me, in the back of the auditorium, doing this acoustic thing, but not the full on acoustic thing. Like with, the, they had some extra players and stuff like that, but it was, it was such a great show. And I remember mm-hmm. that night, Dave Grohl kept, kept talking about how like sick he was, but he sounded great. Yeah. After the show, so I got in because the old, the drummer in my old band, his sister, married the per- oh percussion player on that tour, was kind of Drew. Boy. Okay, so she got us into the show, and afterwards we're at like the after party in the amphitheater. Or I'm sorry, in the uh, auditorium, and I remember sitting there, hanging out with some friends, me and my wife, and my per- wife, my wife. Chris Shifflett stand next to me and we just kind of make eye contact and start talking oh he's great very cool dude very yeah, cool yeah he's great and at one point I see D- Dave Grohl walk in he's in there for maybe 10 minutes and he just like pieces out yeah the very next day like online it was like Dave Grohl has the flu They're to the point where they cancel the next like three shows right so I thought it was cool that I saw like the last show before he got sick that is cool, dude. Because he sounded like a badass. He didn't sound sick. Right. He sounded like normal. Well, you day know it goes. Like when you get the flu on the road, it like creeps on you and like yeah, so but he's the kind. Of but do. he's the kind of dude that like will get on stage and be like, yeah, I just threw up five times. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do this show. We'll cancel the next couple. We'll make them up. But this show, I'm gonna give it every hundred percent. Everything. I Hundred percent. Well, Jerry Cantrell famously said at the Big Unplug show, that which
2: Metallica showed up at. Mm-hmm. And Mike Inez had the bass guitar that said, friends I'll let friends get haircuts. Right. Because that was 96, 97, Load Reload era. Uh, Jerry Cantrell was really sick with the flu. He said he was, like, throwing up before and after the show. But during the show, like, your adrenaline and your endorphins, you sort of make it happen. It's the healing power of music, bro. And plus, he can't outshine uh, Lane Staley's heroin.
1: Yeah, it's kind of tough. When you
2: got the front guy that's, like, truly going to die from heroin. He literally is on heroin, yeah. Um, here's what I think is really interesting about Lords of Summer. Okay, is it was specifically written for the uh, By Request tour. Yeah. Now, what I thought about that was: when was the last time Metallica wrote a song for a specific purpose? And that was Escape in '84, because Electra. Oh, wait, this is pre-Electra.
1: Yeah, this is so this Metal Blade. Because Electra or force
2: Or Megaforce with uh, Johnny Z. They wanted a commercial song. Yeah. So they famously sort of, and that's why James hates it and he right, it's right. bullshit and all this, because they wrote it for a purpose. They had sort of a deadline or they had a, um, which is weird because maybe you less than me, but I do assignment writing. That's my whole career as a sure, writer is yeah. as assignment writing. Of course. When you write the song for, uh, currently on my plate is, when you write a song for Kane Brown and Reba McIntyre and Garth Brooks and uh, Carly Pierce and- But this is the second time that I know of that they wrote a song for a purpose. Right, yeah. And what's interesting about when you watch the making of it, of Lords of Summer, is they're in the studio writing it with three weeks to go. Like, they're going to be playing on a deck in front of, you know, 30,000 people, and they need to have the song written. What do you... I mean... Do you think they're... Do you think they're impervious to that kind of pressure? Or they're like, all right, cool, we put this I kind f- of boundary on ourselves? Maybe.
1: I mean, I I feel like they wrote this song for their fans. Ah. Well, of course, but... The Lords of Summer have returned, like...
2: And there's a lot of, like, there's references... There's references
1: to their own songs in, in this song. But
2: not in these early versions, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They didn't do that... T- that I, let's get into that, because... So Who do they write it for? Well, let's just get into the song, so... Let's do it. They wrote it for the, the By Request core. 1... <laughs> They're, well, they wrote it for the Buy Request Tour, which I think, despite what I said, like the only time they did it was more like under a cloud. Right. Pressure from labels and hits and all that. Sure. We're obviously way beyond that. They don't need to make any people not. in the corporate world happy. No. They're Metallica. Of course. You're right. They want to do it for the fans. But will it be good? Can you do something good when it's not purely artistically uh, you know, channeled? And I think in this case... I mean, this is, to me, Lords of Summer is the forgotten masterpiece of Hardwired to self-destruct. It really is. It should have been on the record. The song is awesome. I love the drum intro. I love that main re- riff. <laughs> that F yeah, sharp so shit. Um, what, here, let
1: me ask you this. Yes. <clears throat> what song off Hardwired would you replace with Murder this? One. Easy. Me too. And I like Murder One. Sure, love and it. And
2: I get it. It's it's Lemmy was such a big deal for them. Yeah, uh, Motorhead such a huge deal for the band. Arguably, the band wouldn't exist without Motorhead. Of course, yeah. Now, does the does that make the song good? The nice idea behind the song, "No From Murder One." No. Does that automatically make the song good? No. I don't think it's a bad song. No. I don't think it's a great song. But imagine. Because cause if Lords people, of
1: Summer was on there, you
2: know, so you know what's weird to me. Well, it's not that weird, but some people don't like Here Comes Revenge, Am I Savage, or Man Unkind. I love Man Those are the three that kind of people digress on. Everyone loves Spit. Am I
1: Savage? I could maybe swap out. Dude, that song <laughs> wow. is so fucking good. Yeah, right.
0: Am I savage? I thought you were about to
2: dog it. Scratch it. No, I love Am I scratch nothing? I love hear, I love the back half of Hardwired so much. Yeah. Obviously, the first half is doper. Sure, of course. Atlas, Moth, Dream, No More, Confusion, Now That We're Dead. All right. But the all back half, a great, song. But the back half is not like total shit. The no, back not half at to all. me is like, it's great. I love the back half, but yeah. mi- but uh, but Murder One is is the dog to me.
1: But dude, I mean, to me, you if Lords of Summer was on the back half, are you kidding? I think you could even have
2: called the record Lords of Summer. I think it's that good. It could have yeah. been the ti- you could have made. I think you could have called the record Lords of Summer. Okay, you hear me yeah. out? All right, I'm listening. Don't call the record "Hardwired to Self-Destruct." Call call track one instead of "Hardwired." Call that song "Hardwired to Self-Destruct." So that's the battery. Sure. Of Lords of Summer. Right. Yeah. Lords of Summer is the track two. The Ride of the Lightning, The Master of Puppets, The Injustice for All. The Track Two titular
1: long track. I mean the intro is great. It's like Ba 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 or it would have been a great uh first track on side, side B. Side B. Yes. If you if you're speaking After in, Dream in, No More. Right. If or you, after Confusion in, in in vinyl terms. Side B. Or the cassette, that would make a great side beat. And it sounds so good. It sounds great. Thank you, Philman. Greg, the lyric is interesting too.
2: Like it's very death Ma- death magnetic type, very thrashy, brutal lyrics. Um, the self referential stuff, pounding, pounding, no remorse. Lords of Summer, set on chorus, pushing, pushing, horsemen ride. Lords of Summer, undenied.
1: That didn't come till later. Right. So, How do you feel about the l- latter lyrical changes I don't where know. he references old songs? There's an
2: interesting... So you can watch The Making of Lords of Summer, which I highly recommend to all of our listeners if you right. haven't already seen it, where they were under the gun, right? So they had to write the song for this By Request tour. They go do that tour. They play it several times, right? Mm-hmm. One of the times the one of the Rome shows is like on the single or whatever. Then you can watch. It says 14 months later, they're back in the studio with Fiddleman working on Hardwired. Right. And Greg says, at the very top of this video, he goes, I think the song needs more. Okay. And James is way open. James is like, great. And Lars is too, but Greg is going, here's the problem initially with this is you guys have already been playing it live. You guys already know, quote unquote, how it goes. And I'm basically saying we need to change it. Yeah. So are you guys going to be cool with that? And everyone's kind of seems on board, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great producer move, producer move for real. Well, it's, mean, inter-
2: it, well it's interesting because James in the studio, he's got like a notebook in front of him, and he he lands on uh, some lyrical changes, and he's like dictating the lyrical changes as they go. Because mm-hmm. you probably know this too, as an artist, you write it, maybe you kind of see what it can be. Once you start getting on, you know, the floor oh, for yeah. you making your record or a oh, deck yeah. when you're doing it live. Once you start singing it phonetically, maybe you start augmenting it this works this doesn't work it totally changes
1: yeah Yeah, when when you're writing a song and you're you're sitting there like with an acoustic guitar and it's like you're kind of humming along or singing really quietly it's like that that works when you actually sit back sing it full voice strumming hard on your guitar with a full band whatever all of a sudden like lyrically especially in in melody that can change so quick right because you'll sing out really loud and you're like oh shit what I sang quietly does not work like that
2: it's a phrasing thing it's phonetic yep totally now it's it it can also be conceptual so the actual lyric for the kind of there's almost two choruses pounding pounding no remorse lords of summer hear our voice right but then it goes to this um at last the
0: thawing has begun Mm
2: -hmm. yep what that lyric was when they were doing it live was eternal thawing has begun come trade your darkness for the sun which I think is some of the best lyrics. It's awesome. I just think that's such a great image. Now, the difference between... So it it was Eternal Thawing Has Begun, and then James later sort of augmented that into At Last The Thawing Has Begun. Now, not to get too heady, not to get too Dungeons and Dragons-y on that, (laughs) but conceptually, the difference between Eternal Thawing Has Begun, something that's always happened, and will always happen, to, at last, the thawing has begun. I prefer that. Well, it's better. Yeah. You know, come trade your darkness for the sun. The whole shift, the whole... To say, like, eternal thawing has begun feels like um, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's eternal. There's a sort of complacency and a giving over to what's the status quo.
1: Right. But c- to- come trade your darkness for the sun is almost like uh, there's a second chance. Like Well, the at last... Right
2: is like we've been waiting for this and it's happened. Yeah, that's just such a small phonetic thing. I love it, but it changes the whole meaning of it. Yeah, so I honed in on that. Uh, They've only played it thirty-three times,
1: which I mean, which uh, to me is a good amount of times, considering that I mean they played it X amount of times before the record came out. Yeah, it's but
2: it's good enough. It's good
1: enough to have made its way, I think, in more set lists. Sure. But I mean, there's, there's plenty of like what I would consider classic Metallica songs that have played less. yeah. 33 times for a song that is still relatively brand new. And most of the times they played it were before they actually changed stuff y- it's about it. It's kind
2: of in like Judas' Kiss Devil's Dance Zone. To me it was a song in so the 30s thought, and
1: 40s. I would imagine when, when they when they finished this song pre-fiddleman, started playing it live, they were like, this is a new song this is happening on the next record. We're doing it. And they played it live a bunch and a bunch and a bunch. And then later found out like, okay, we should change this and this and this. I don't know. I I think, I think they were that excited about the song because it was the first thing since death magnetic that we heard. Yeah. Eight years. That and Vulturous, Right. But like, and the beyond magnetic is a long time though. Like, Oh yeah, that's a fucking long time since the last record. If you're just like a normal fan,
2: excuse me.
1: Um, Looking like okay, Death Magnetic. Well, if they did. Well, it was six years. They they, yeah, Death Magnetic was
2: oh eight. They debuted this in 04, in fourteen. Right, actually. yeah, yeah. Six years.
1: but that's a long fucking. That's time. so a long time. They
2: made a movie. They did the Orion Fest a couple right. times. All right, but
1: no new Metallica songs. Yeah, totally. And all
2: of a sudden we hear this, and it's like holy and it's shit, and it's fucking bitching,
1: totally bitching. Yeah. Especially if you only heard it live, you haven't heard that that mildly crappy studio recording. Um. We watch this online live And it's like Oh my god Yeah It's fast It's heavy The lyrics are good It's kind of got Great parts Like great dynamics And it's kind of
2: long So it kind of does The normal The normal Metallica Long thing A la Puppets Is like Big intro Verse Chorus Thing Then Mm -hmm. they do that twice Totally Then there's like Solo world Then they do the third round Of the big verse Chorus thing Then a great outro And it's long
1: Yeah Love it!
2: And, uh, I'll take it.
1: Yeah, me too. And that's that's on us being like we like the old stuff. I'm. I mean, I do like the old stuff. Of but course, I do. Yeah. However, that's not. I'm also totally also cool really with like the slow songs and the short songs and <laughs> totally. whatever. Yeah. Hardware to self destruct. The song is one of the slow, the shortest
2: songs they've ever written. Very short. Yeah. Um. Well, speaking of the, you kind of mentioned like a rougher demo that came out. Mm-hmm. But they released a single. It was a digital single. They Well, they did a digital single and a 12-inch final that yeah. came out on June 20th, 2014. And the digital just had what was called the first pass, which is... It's non-Greg Fiddleman. It's, yeah. it's quote-unquote uh, produced by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. And it's like a demo, but it's a little better.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not great, but... but It's kind of loose. But coming from Hardwired, again, to reiterate But my this point, is pre-Hardwired, but... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Death Metal Egg. Yeah, uh, coming from better, Death yeah, Metal Like you hear this and you're like, okay. Yeah. It's lo-fi. It's it's not amazingly produced, but it's a new but Metallica the vocals song. A little better. And it was Holy cl- shit, we have yeah. a new Metallica song. Yeah,
2: and it was it was as good as that. Yes. Now the 12-inch version, uh, that came with the "Alive uh, at Rock and Rome," which was from July 1st, 2014, and also the first pass. Right. The official video is cool. It's like a montage of the whole by request tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a note that says in the live video of the June 2nd, 2015 performance in Milan. Oh, that's great. You can see this on the website. So they have the Milan performance of 2015, but they show a tuning room before that. And yeah. it's them playing the Unforgiven 2 mm-hmm. in the tuning room. Mm-hmm. Which Love to it. me is just such a treat.
1: It's just so rare and weird to see them doing it. Uh- you know, as much I mean, as much as the Unforgiven one is a classic. Well, it's that's a classic. course, classic. classic. For sure. On this next tour, I would love to see two or three. One of the two, I'd be so happy with. To
2: me, Unforgiven awesome. two, Black Album is when I, in my mind's eye, because of my age and my time, yeah. I see the Black Album era Metallica. I see that look on James and Kirk. Right, man. But a very close second to that
1: is load and reload era. But if you and I were at a show and it, all of a sudden it was like, "What I felt, what I've known, turn
0: the pages, turn the stone. Yes, I'll be there. For you. <laughs> These five words, I swear. To oh, you. dude.
2: I mean, do you really want me to sing all of Unforgiven 2 right now? Lay beside me. This won't hurt. Mm-hmm. I swear. Yeah. Loves me not?
0: She loves me still. Yeah. Will she ever love my hair? I hope so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> turn the pages, turn to stone.
2: Behind the door, should I open it for you, or are you unforgiving too? too? God damn it!
1: Does that mean as well, or part two, or what does it mean? It means as well, as well. It's yeah. comma T O O T O O T W. Because
2: because the first one is he he can't forgive himself. Right. Yeah. He's unforgiven. The second one is She's Unforgiven 2 And he kills her Yeah Because that was in his Mid-90s That's dark Tom Waits exploration shit Unforgiven 3 Comes back to himself You know How
0: How can I be lost
1: If I got nowhere to go go. Search
0: for seas seas of gold gold.
1: How How come it's got so cold cold? So (laughs) good So good So good So right
2: Randy Watson
1: So good So good. So good Sweet
2: Caroline. <laughs> there it is. James, James, James. All right. I think Lords of Summer should have been on Hardwired. I do. I, I do, I too. understand yeah. they maybe didn't think it thematically fit. They had to get Murder One on there because of Lemmy, and they, it, was, it was a very important figure. But I think as time has gone on, that song doesn't I mean, they sense. could have
1: probably gotten rid of Atlas Rise. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. Okay, that's a fun experiment, though. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. You, well, obviously, it can't be Atlas. If there's one song to go that's not Murder One, what do you
1: think it'll be? Hmm, that's tough.
2: If Lord of the Summer is going to go on Hardwired, but it can't replace Murder One, now it it can't be Moth or Hardwired, of course, yeah, or Halo. Here are the contenders, and it can't be out. It can't be out. Confusion is a contender. Here comes Revenge. And my savage, man unkind. Those are your options. You got four options. Hmm. Man unkind, here comes revenge. Yeah. Confusion and my savage. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going confusion. I could do
1: without confusion. I'm going here comes revenge. No. Yes.
0: I'll be there for you. Little grieve, I'm grieving.
1: <laughs> I will find you. Great that stuff. is great awesome. stuff. <laughs> of course it is. You know how how hard it is to eliminate a song off that record? It seem pretty easy song- just now to you. Because you asked me on... Uh, we're recording a podcast. Only I because you quick. didn't choose what I chose. If you asked me in real life, I would take three days to decide. Clint, I'll text you back in a couple of days. Okay, cool. Well, let's move okay, on. Okay, it's Moth and the Flame. No. I would never do that. that. Would I would... Throw a spear through your heart. Oh, this this podcast will be a la Lord
2: of Flies. Okay, the Ronnie Rising medley. What do you think about this song? I fucking love
1: it. I do too. Love it. Um, this made I think this made your top ten of their covers. Yes, and like I said before we started recording this episode, this medley. So I've known a lot of Dio songs over the years. However, I've never really dove into Rainbow. Because, I haven't either. You should. Oh. You really should. Well,
2: do I need to after the Ronnie Rising medley? Yes. Have I not learned all I need to know? You have
1: not. Okay. Okay, so Terror Woman, for instance.
2: Well, okay. This is my favorite. So it's four songs. Yes. Um, and it was this was originally for the uh, Ronnie James Dio, This Is Your Life Tribute Record. Right. Now, Terror Woman is my favorite. It's the starter. And Terror only beca-
0: Woman! Oh, on- so
2: good. Only because... I feel like it would fit on a Lunar Satan record. It really would. Here's a sampling of the lyric. She can take you there, the entrance to the fair. My, my, my. Ride the carousel, cast a magic spell, you can
1: fly, fly, fly. Inspiration.
2: Just the imagery of, like, finding a witch at a fair. Like, you know, because fairs are filled with transients. They come and go, Mm -hmm. they set up, they split.
1: You're going to meet a witch there, probably. Or at the very least, you, sh- you should write a song about, like, like for, she's n- for Lunar Satan, you should write a song about like a, like a rent, rent fair. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm in. Witches are way more bound to be there than just a normal fair, right? Are we talking about like, like a, I mean, co- I've already a country fair?
2: Yeah, it, well, no, no, a county, like a, a traveling, a fair. like a carnival, like carnies. Okay, there you go. All right. The bearded lady is a witch. Yeah. Now, Lunar Satan is more about Satan than witches and shit. And we've already written a great witch song. Sure. Set the witch on fire. Again. Parentheses, again. again. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's one of the best titles ever.
2: But I, do, but I do appreciate the sort of, that's that's kind of the hallmark of power metal, right? Demons and dragons yeah. and witches and warlocks. and.
1: <clears throat> well, what's great about Dio is like, you know, back in the day, like... It, it, as far as I'm concerned It's pretty known That he didn't actually Believe in witches And no, demons No, no, and no and one does Exactly It's it's fun But he used this As, as a fictitious way To write great songs Yeah you He's know? a storyteller Yeah exactly And to that point
2: So for when We go into Stargazer Into Kill the King Which I loved All that Kill the King mm-hmm. shit Yeah uh, Light in the Black uh, The solos are great A lot of guitar
1: harmonies Oh yeah They've never played it live Which I'm okay with I mean I would, I'm I'm cool with that. I would like to hear it once. Yeah, I think the recording, like Hetfield's voice especially, fucking kills. The it. recording is amazing. Kills it. It's so good. He and do you think? I thought about this today.
2: Do you think they did it all in one go, or do you think that was like mm. through the through the majesty through the of I don't know. current um, editing?
1: It's it sounds. fluid. It sounds
2: great. It sounds fluid to me. Like they sounds did fluid.
1: It but, I mean, obviously there's tempo changes,
2: this and that. But it sounds like they're doing it in real time. And there's even, like, these big vocal
1: things that go over yeah, yeah. the tempo changes. But you know, you as well as I know. I just think that, like, like Headfield especially, like, he, to me, this is, on, on any cover song, this is where he really shines. Yeah. He gets up high, not as high as Dio, obviously, but. Well, no one can do that. Of course not. He but, doesn't go as high as Ozzy either on the, on the, uh, Sabre
2: cadaver shit, right? Well, because he is—that's not really the point of covers. No, no, no. no you, I don't you, go as high as Metallica
1: when we cover them. I, I definitely do not. Listen to my voice Blue right now. <laughs> yeah. Sanitarium. let your soul glow. Let your soul glow. Dude, when are we gonna cover Soul Glow? I don't think anyone has ever meant to know what key that's in. It's so it's in about fifteen different keys. It's so high that. You just, you'll never know. Um, I think, I, I, You'd I think. You'd like to
2: see him do it live. One time. But if we go to see Metallica on the next tour, and they have to take up two or three songs
1: to do the Ronnie Rising medley, if they ju- I'm not willing it, to give that up. If they just did, ter- not the whole medley, just Terror Woman. Like, uh, we're going to do Leper Messiah and Dire Eve. Terror Woman. And Ever, well, there's given, always co- cover, and Ever cover, given Three. There's always a cover slot, though. Not always. Most Re- of the recently. time. Recently, recently in Europe, it has been which they're in doing Europe, the same yeah. setup. So, if there's a cover slot, I would love to hear just just Terror Woman. I think it's chances so good. Of that are almost zero. I
2: know that, but a boy can dream. They're actually less than zero. That's what I mean by almost zero. They're negative.
1: Great zero. soundtrack produced by Rick Rubin, Ricky Ricardo
2: Ricardius and
1: Rubonius Rubonium. Yeah, Rube Bonarium
2: Track three, which was one of my favorite covers in my top ten covers When a Blind Man Cries
1: You love the song It's good There's almost nothing not good about it Originally I I can tell you what is not good about it What? The drums are too loud? Too dry No Yes Even today I listened down to this whole disc three a couple times
0: Yeah, the drums are dry
1: The drums are dry No, for real. I think the song should be very airy, very... Wet. Very wet. Roomy. Roomy. When the drums come in, it's just like... It's so dry. I like that about it. A little bit of room sound. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think
1: think it'd be more fitting for the production of the song.
2: Well, originally... That's my only complaint. Originally released by Deep Purple in 1972 as a B-side to the Never Before single. And then, of course, on Machine Head... Metallica recorded it for the Remachined tribute to Deep Purple's Machine Head record. I just think there's some stuff you hear on this that's not typical Metallica, the creepy right. as- atmospheric guitar, mm-hmm. which they did on Astronomy, the Blueish Aquatics song. Yeah. There's a lot of atmospheric guitar on um, the Load and Reload Era records. Of course. But it's still, those are just two records largely decried by the band. Mm-hmm. We don't hear that as much, you know? Totally. At, you know what? Great creepy guitar and here comes revenge. The song that you apparently hate. No. Are we fighting?
1: Is this what fighting is like in a relationship? I can't believe you don't like that song, Clint. We have are you, definitely not. You're on the couch tonight.
2: Have you heard <laughs> uh, every night? Have you heard Richie Sambora's cover of the song? It's pretty interesting.
1: I have not. It's not as good as Metallica's. I'll, I'll say. Do you know what other song he played on? I'll
0: simple. be there for you These five words I swear to you When you breathe I want to be the air for you I'll be there for you I'll for you
1: i for you Blah, 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 blah Alright I- I'll be there for you Oh, say...
0: Can you see I'm coming to America?
2: (laughs) That's the theme song.
1: I was about to go into the actual national anthem.
2: Uh, Now, here's the deal. I do want to highlight. They've only played this song three times. Yeah. And two of these shows are interesting. Now, the first one, they played it May 12th of 2014 in Los Angeles for the Music Cares Map Fund benefit, where James also played In My Life by the Beatles, Because this was like an Ozzy tribute, and that's Ozzy Osbourne's favorite Beatles song. Wow. In my life, Bon Jovi (laughs) Moore.
1: My life.
2: They also did Rare Earths, I Just Want to Celebrate, and they did Diary of a Madman.
1: It's cool. Pretty cool. Yeah.
2: The When a Blind Man Cries, this is like a few years earlier than the version we know. It's very fast.
1: Yeah.
0: When a Blind Man
2: Cries.
0: Oh you know I'll be
1: there for you. These five words
0: I swear to you. Should we do the reggae version? (laughs) When a blind jaw cries
1: Rastafari Oh oh you know (laughs) Jalo Dreadlock Rasta Now they did
2: it the next two times they did it were two years later October 22nd and 23rd, 2016 Mm -hmm. in California for the 30th annual Bridge School Benefit at Shoreline Amphitheater. You ever played Shoreline?
1: I have. I have two Two times, yeah. Two times? I've said a few times. Oh. No big deal. So more than two. Yeah. I've done it too. I thought we were going to be equal. 2.5. Crap. Played in the parking lot one time. It was
2: a lot more like the record. It was like more vibey and stripped down. They also did, which you'll be interested to know, Clampdown, you like that song? Uh, yeah, by the Clash.
1: Losing for the clampdown, they start
0: blue and brown. for the clampdown. I'll be there for you. you. These, These five <laughs>
2: <laughs> They also did "Hero of the Day," "Bleeding Me," and one of my favorite Neil songs. They did "Mr. Soul" with Neil Young, and they also did Hardwired Acoustic," where they sort of famously botched it. Yeah. Which I forgive them for. That one, like... Have you seen that where they kind of fuck it up? Yeah, it's pretty bad. But what's weird about it is, they fuck it up, but James does what I would do, because I've been in these situations. He plows through, and he keeps waiting for Lars to just come back in. And Lars is trying to go, no, 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 let's just start it over. And James is like, come on, get in. Well, you're already there, might as well commit, right? because there's just two speeds of that, right? If you really shit the bed, there's two speeds. One speed is, call the whole thing off, Mm -hmm. start over. Yep that's just the one of the two speeds right second speed is you fucking plow through it and plow fucking go. commit yeah and Lars is wanting to start
1: over and James mm-hmm. is wanting to plow and it's weird to see them fight on that I mean I, I can honestly say that like maybe not the best choice for like an acoustic song Uh, i think i think it's i mean
2: out of all it's bold i think it's bold for sure but isn't that that's what they do
1: my question is that's what the boys do though do they are you is you can i maybe but is that is, is that a song that when they were rehearsing for this acoustic thing they rehearsed and they were like fuck yeah we got it This will be great. You know, it's the last song they wrote for Hardwired for the record. It is, yeah.
2: And so to that point, maybe they were the most excited about it because it's the last one they wrote. Maybe. I think it was a cool shot. A cool shot. They definitely didn't land it.
1: No, 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 not at all.
2: But you know what? We don't have any other acoustic versions of any Hardwired
1: songs. Metallica should have done this one acoustic, like real delicate. It's such a fast, thrashy song. Why not do it just like, you know... Don't try to play it exactly like the record, but acoustic.
2: Well, That's I my t- only point.
1: I totally agree. Anyways, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> the fourth song. Track two.
2: I think we're on track four. Four
1: we are. Remember tomorrow, Iron Maiden, which was from their first record, aka "Creeping Death." I don't like the song because there's no chorus in it. I still love the song.
2: I'm not. I'm not into it. I mean, I think it sounds great. It's cool. Let's start with it's the intro. early maiden. All right, okay. So the intro, the intro is creeping death. Do you want to put an A? You want an A, B it here? Yes, we should. You want to test the theory? Yep.
1: It's crazy though Like okay so it Basically the drums and guitar go Ba 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 But the actual harmonies go On, on-, on guitar go Ba 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 But the drums and guitar Are basically creeping death Okay I would imagine Because this song is older than Metallica Yes It's they pro- 1980 Right They probably heard this Because they were heavily influenced by Iron Maiden heard that I could be totally wrong but I'd be shocked if they weren't influenced so you're by this, saying this song so you're saying Creeping Death is basically an amalgamation of
2: Remember Tomorrow By Our Maiden yeah. and uh, that Exodus song that Kirk stole the
1: die, right, right, right. die shit from but this one I mean or, or just listen to Lars's drums alone on this song on this cover it literally is it doesn't do the nothing like that but the first one is. G- 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 uh, it's just weird. I'm not normally
2: very particular about songs that don't have choruses. Like for right. example, Faded Black" doesn't have yeah. a chorus. Right. Of course. I mean, it has a musical section. Yes. Which is still increasingly amazing to me. They didn't like write a chorus for that.
1: They just let that. Just dun, chorus. Dun, be dun, 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 dun. Like instrumental. This funk. this is this is our chorus. 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 I hope you our like gear, it. Our yeah. gear was Maybe stolen. not. Yeah. And Thrax let us borrow a martial
2: cabinet, so we were loud. And the lyrics are depressing. I'm gonna kill myself. All right, <laughs> um, it's cool, and that, and thus ends sort of the uh, the studio segment of Disc Three of
1: Hardwired. If you should you should you would you, you could you could you? Um, initially, when I first saw the deluxe edition, okay. I thought oh, that's it for studio recordings. That's all. That's not a lot. It's four songs. Yes. One of them is 10 minutes long. Of course, yes. yeah. Of course. But I thought, oh, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Some outtakes from Hardwire, B-Sides, whatever. Yep. But then we jumped straight into their Record Store Day set at Rasputin in, in uh, Berkeley. I think a totally great idea. Because it, it was great. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. Right. I just thought, like, Oh, track four. Oh, we're on track five. For Now we're doing live stuff for the rest of the disc.
2: Well, let's just get into that, too. Like, So they played at the uh, Rasputin Record Store, mm-hmm. which is one of the record stores that Kurt grew up going to. Yep. We, we didn't mention his uh, record store day tale before, but yeah. he said he would drive two hours to Berkeley to visit two record stores, one of them being this one, the other one being... Hold on, look at my notes here. To Rasputin and rather ripped records. Never been there. He talks about how when he went to a record store, it was before they even had a record, a heavy metal section. Yeah. Like Judas Priest and Sabbath and Iron Maiden mm-hmm. and uh, w- Tigers of Peng Tang and whatever, all that shit. That was all in hard rock. Right. Yeah. They didn't even have a metal section. Totally. In yeah. fact, Metallica is one of the reasons there is a metal section. Mm-hmm. You're Along welcome. with Megadeth and. Testament next to this well we're not as big so uh... so here's what I like about so they're record store day ambassador so they're playing in this record store mm-hmm. the record store Kirk grew up going to yes and it's not quite Bay Area it's Berkeley so it's across the bridge o- it's considered Oakland, Bay Area it's East Bay but it's Oakland yeah, yeah. Um, East Bay Area what I love about the whole performance and we're going to dip into this soon but like there's no production there's no lights it's daytime oh yeah it's a small, in, it's an
1: in-store record performance. It is, But yeah. you've probably I mean, done a
2: million of these. Yes. I've done a
1: million of these. I'd imagine in this performance there's probably... 100? 100, 100, 100 people? 150, maybe maybe. It's not. It's not big. Because that place But that's a, what's great about Metallica. They do I these know. things. That, I know, I totally they, agree. They get asked, like, hey, do you want to be an ambassador for record story this year? They're like, sure. And it's probably up to them to be like, what are we going to do? How we going to make well, it special? Let's release yeah. this. Let's yeah. play this thing at yeah. Raspbution. Well, them in management, amazing.
2: they probably brainstorm and totally. Um, one of the coolest things about the whole show is at the top where they come on stage. It feels very loose. Uh, James is like, "Hey, what's happening?" Lars is like hitting the drums, warming up, and then he just starts going into helpless.
1: Yeah, it. It, and it seems feels- planned, but. It also seems equally as like it seems like them in their garage Mars is just like goofing around. Yes, and James is just like. It's before you know it, they launch in and go right through it. It feels really exciting. The only reason I think that it was planned out is because they cut out a few parts from the song. It's
2: it's a truncated version. Yes,
1: and still and it, being,
2: it was very awesome. It being planned is fine, but even if they plan it the way they, it's not like they're like, hey, we plan a very cool thing for you. One, two, three, four. Right. They just come up and just sort of do it the way they probably did it in the garage, where it's yeah. like he just starts the drum thing and you just fall in. That was a
1: great thing about this whole performance was that like they're 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 back in the Bay Area, they're playing mostly old school songs. Yeah, it's almost like that's that was great about even even though they probably planned out helpless, it was like, hey, Lars, just throw on the drums and we'll make it sound like we're doing this. It's funny
2: that you said that about them like being home. Like we're gonna get into this later, but I didn't realize until I burnt this whole thing down. This is the latest song they played, and that's 87, Mm -hmm. for them.
1: Yeah. Everything else they played is 84 and earlier. Yep. All right. But that's also the thing like we love about Metallica, is that like, this is a record store day, so they're they're looking back on like... They're looking back. ...the final era, exactly. Looking back, final era of their career. Let's play our first couple records.
2: It's deeper than it seems on the surface. Yeah. These, these are thoughtful people. Yes, of course. James, I love, is playing his kind of newish black Vulture V, mm-hmm. which I want one. For I'll those buy of you, from, me, you one. from ESP listening. Kirk's playing the uh, classic black Gibson V, very thrashy. A good Kirk solo starts in strong. Now, they go from helpless into. What is increasingly, to me, feeling like one of the most important Metallica songs, mm-hmm. which is the first Metallica song.
1: Exactly. Unforgiven. Carpe diem, baby. Exactly. <laughs> no, hit Mama the lights. Mama said, hit the lights. Hit the lights. I mean, this is... It's almost like Helpless was like their warm-up act. It's like when they did the live at uh, Webster Hall. Yeah.
2: When James is like, hey, before we get started, and then he plays Breadfin. Right. Brown to brown to brown... And then after that, it's almost like, now let's play the set. Yeah. Now let's get into it. I mean, how crazy is it that Hit the Lights is the first song on the Metal Masker mm-hmm. compilation, the first song James and Lars sort of arranged yep. together? Yep. It's not the best lyric, especially when we know what James would go on to write. Even one album later, the lyrics for Bells or Ride right. the Lightning or Creeping Death are so heavy. Mm-hmm. But it's probably the song I care about the lyric the least in the sense that, like, I don't care that the lyric's stupid. No have to Leather will kick some ass tonight. It doesn't matter. The energy and the riffs and the power of that song
1: feels it, so much bigger than the lyric. You're correct. Yeah, exactly. And, and I would even say that, like, the, the actual lyrics, even though they're kind of cheesy, mm-hmm. No to Leather will kick some ass tonight. They're of their time, right? They're of their time. And especially in this moment, being in the Bay Area. Being an ambassador's record store day playing mm. a small record store one of the biggest metal bands of all the biggest metal band of all time the biggest the biggest are playing Rasputin record store yeah in Berkeley yeah for 100 to 150 people it's so say. cool
2: and during the day yeah they're like no, let's play Hit the Lights yeah
1: we're we're on our old school stomping ground hmm. this is where we grew up playing music let's play all old shit hmm. that's how much they love their fans if they got on stage and they are like what's up we're ambassadors of record store day. this is Enter Sandman hello Cleveland right yeah we're gonna play wherever I'm in Rome sure fans would be stoked oh, well I would've been stoked but I would've been too but,
2: but yeah you're right but
1: for for the context of what it is it was a it was, it was a intentional, smart move.
2: it was intentional very smart move they were saying we're in a record store celebrating the magic of records yes and the culture of record stores we're gonna play the first ten songs mm-hmm. that came from that love mm-hmm. And to me, Hit the Lights, it, it, it for me, it doesn't get any better. Right. And I just, as much as I love Kill 'Em All era, and we did the Kill 'Em All box set. Right. We reviewed all those live shows. I love hearing Mature Metallica play those songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because there's a sonic weight that comes with it, and a, um, you know, the way you sing a song many years down the road is you bring a different weight to it. Right, exactly. And I, I can yeah. see that in James. Yeah, so, the song
1: the song evolves over time.
2: All right, so we go from that into another kill em all fucking one two mm. punch the fucking four horsemen. Yeah. which I hate Dave Mustaine for having written this song because he didn't hear
1: the mechanics well he wrote the music I know but you know what it's as much it's as so Dave great. is a turd nowadays it's a he wrote some great shit he wrote he a really few did. he wrote a few good the jump songs jump in the fire yeah. great riff
2: they played that on this we're gonna get to jump in the fire
1: Here we go. Here we go. Acoustic version.
0: Come on, jump in the fire, please come on, jump in the fire.
1: This is the day's the new version.
0: Now I stand.
1: Pretty sick.
2: All right. Well, yeah. Four Osmond, Kirk switches to the White Zombie ESP. One of my favorite Kirk guitars. Classic guitar, yeah. Love it. The bridge riff is so badass. No swing section. No uh, sweetham Alabama section. They've I, cut, think, they've I think that's gone. Long time. I think it's gone.
1: I would love it back. Bring it I, back.
2: I wouldn't mind it. I don't miss dun, dun, it. Da, dun, da, dun, dun, da, dun. It's so good. I don't miss it, but but I wouldn't mind it. Can those opinions exist? I wouldn't miss it, but I don't mind it. I don't mind it, but I don't sh- hate it. Should have missed it. <laughs> Should have loved it. Don't miss it. Should have. Could have. Would have. Uh, James at the end of the song. James is
1: like, "Shit, that was some high singing." <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I, when I listen to this today, this is the point I was going to bring up. This was still in the era of Hetfield, where he over over the, over time had been training his voice to get better and better, and explored higher notes, stuff that he hit when he was young. But when he was young, it was like a scream high note. So this is a classic example of him just like ah! just like trying to hit those notes, and he hits them, but it takes him a second to get up there. Yeah. Like for horsemen, for instance, it's like, you know, I'd rather him just go, uh, Sorry, my voice is tired right now. But, you know, I wish it was just like, Right, he doesn't have
2: to go the whole octave. It's an octave. It's an octave up. Well, what's weird is, you're right, he doesn't quite land it. Right. Although, although I think he does sound good. He,
1: not bad at all, but, for but, sure. But, of course, the
2: perfectionist he is as soon as they burn the song down, he makes a joke about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. shit, that was high. Who right, uh, That yeah. was a like, young kid a long time ago. But then they go into maybe my favorite song from the set, Ride the Fucking Lightning. This is where I feel like they but really he, locked in. He does all the high notes. Great on that. He does. I
0: not know. Damn it, it ain't right. So
2: He does those, like, the beginning of each couplet of the verses, which are super high, which in recent years he's not been doing. To your point, he does, I don't Damn it, it ain't right. He doesn't tr- yeah, which, do the octave, which is fine too. But, but back then like, he was doing that. But it's almost like him struggling through the four horsemen warmed his voice yeah. up, yeah. and then he kind of nails
1: the ride the lightning shit. I feel like when they when they when they play ride the lightning, like they've kind of settled into like cruise control. Like this is where they're sounding good. It's just every time I hear that song
2: live, I'm reminded why it's my favorite record because the fact that that was their second record out of the gate. Yeah, and to me. To me, uh, Four Horsemen is the closest thing that comes to the complexity of the song Ride the Lightning. Right, yeah. In terms of the parts, the solo, the lyrical depth of it. hmm And you know, maybe there's a lot to say there for Dave there, because Dave co-wrote, Dave kind of wrote Four Horsemen musically, and he is responsible for several riffs in Ride the Lightning.
1: Right, yeah. I better credit on that. Which
2: bums me off, because I think he's a super butthole. Is he? he is yes he to is. quote my favorite band now ghost <laughs> he is um i just think the solo to ride the lightning is a crowning achievement in kirk's mm-hmm. yep, career
1: 100 100 great
2: and he would go on to do so many uh, bl- bl- uh just things that stand out to me uh master puppets damaging blackened dire's eve unforgiven unforgiven two even his great solo um but Ride of the Lightning is almost like the wake-up call from Kill Em All to Ride of mm-hmm. the Lightning. That oh, solo. Yeah.
1: It's like, it oh, it here's Kirk Hammett.
2: Yeah. It starts with a tapping. It does very melodic shit. Then it does a yep. shreddy shit. Then it does that... Yep.
1: Those big hammer on Love pull-offs. it. It's awesome. All right. this is, It was almost like Kirk, Kirk's graduation. It, or it, was, yes. it was acceptance into the band. Yes. Like, you do your thing. Totally. Dave did this. You kind of hold some of that. We, we and need you to learn thing. the first 16 bars and then do your own thing. Exactly. This right. is your time to shine. Yes. And this
2: song is a perfect example And of that. Kirk has several co-writes on Lightning. I mean, yeah. you know, he, the the heat he brought to Creeping Death. Mm-hmm. Well, we've said this before. But even if it was just Creeping Death, let alone the amazing bridge rift to Damage Inc. Right. And, and he brought a lot of heat to uh, Puppets and Disposable Heroes. But you Inner, Sandman, Sandman? Inner Sandman is... The biggest pass in metal you can ever get. I mean, he wrote the main riff. He wrote the main riff to the most ubiquitous metal song I of mean, all time.
1: Real quick. You ready for it?
2: Yeah. I'll be there
0: for you.
2: That's the Marcy Playroom version.
1: I mean, that's you can't fuck with that. No, it's the best. You can't. Well, it's the best. Dude, it's their biggest song. It's sellouts. No, no, you're stupid. You're stupid.
2: You're you're a you you are a, a, a dummy disguised as a quote unquote true. That's my personal opinion. If you don't like it, so quit listening to the podcast.
1: <laughs> I'm tattooing that on my leg.
2: But Ride of the Lightning is just for me such a hallmark, and to see them do it live all these years later and yeah, still kill of course. it, Of a big treat. They go into kind of a kirk solo, which kind of seems to be an excuse for James to take a break. Yeah. And what's weird is on the video, which you can see online, it's like his audio is not coming through in the house, but you can tell mm-hmm. it's coming through in his ears because he keeps ripping. He's like ripping like right. nothing's wrong, but you can't hear anything. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. And then I don't know, I don't know if that's a big mick thing or whatever. The audio finally comes through. James changes it back to a snake bite. And now this is a kind of an emotional highlight of the show. They do fade to black, which, by the way, I love hearing it with James playing electric instead of acoustic. I love it. I know that on the record it's acoustic, and it I know is, that sure. on the Stadium Tour they did this
1: the acoustic thing. But back in the day, they, like there was numerous tours where he did electric, and totally. it sounded awesome.
2: Well, yeah, even in the '90s, I think Blackmore they still yeah. did electric. Oh yeah,
1: um, they were doing Unforgiven electric. Was it when that the twelve string, uh, the double neck? Or no, nothing else no, matters. No, that was nothing else matters. Yeah. But still, they was- always did Unforgiven with a, like a nylon guitar. Yeah.
2: But Fade to Black, though, I don't know that that creepy B minor riff. Mm-hmm. It just sounds better with that great James Corsey clean. Right.
1: Yeah. Which I agree.
2: Never, other than like Robert Smith of the Cure or Johnny Marr of the Smiths, have I tolerated the chorus pedal as much as James Ooh. Hetfield. It's tough. Or any it's Summers, maybe effect. some some police stuff, but yeah, James has that message in the bottle. Come on, it's like James has the depth up kind of high, but the mm-hmm. rate low on the pedal. Well, what so also
1: helps is his touch on the guitar.
2: Kinda, that well, that's the magic. He just magic. nailed it.
1: Yeah, that's the magic. Yes, like I could get up there with whatever effects Headfold has on his rig,
2: and you you would actually probably be okay at it. You could play
1: and play it fine. But if Hetfield grabbed the guitar from me and played it, it would be like, yeah, that's the sound.
2: There is a great scene in the Beatles movie Let It Be where George is playing his classic Rosewood Telly right. where the whole body and neck are made of rosewood. Mm-hmm. It's a very famous guitar. Yeah. And it I'm the biggest Beatles fan you'll probably ever meet, but George did not have a good touch. Right. He's a genius and a great songwriter, but he had a, much like me in my career, He had to fight the instrument for it to sound buttery and Mm -hmm. great. There's a scene in Let It Be where he's very frustrated, and it sounds clinkity-clink, pluckity-plucky, and he just can't figure it out. And Eric Clapton is hanging out. And George, in a moment of frustration, thrusts the guitar into Eric's hands and says, you do something with this. I can't. Yeah. Eric Clapton, who knows he's in the presence of gods, is Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I shouldn't. What should I do? But he takes the guitar... Same amp, same guitar, nothing changed. In the and hands, he's like, "Bing, bing, 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 bing," and it sounds like heaven.
1: It's all in the hips. But you, it's all in the hips.
2: <laughs> it's true though. Like, well, you, George looks at him like, "How did you like?" George looks defeated. He basically looked at him and said, "Fuck you." Well, because it just rang true that there's some shit that you can't. There's some shit that's like biological.
1: Well, yeah, you you can't just plug in it like. If Eric Clapton walked into this studio right now, into HQ One, the and,
2: sound of him and had his
1: rig, yes. or, or, or or let's just say that no, this. it would even be the your rig. He plugged rig. into my rig, right? And he was like, "Turn on every pedal you have, right?" He would make it still sound like fucking gold. I once
2: I was playing Bob Schneider for a Rachel Way, Ray party in Austin. Rachel Ray? Rachel Ray, the chef? Yes. Well, TV, TV she's, TV personality? She's a friend of ours. Yeah. And she hosts a big party she, at South by Southwest. She's a babe, Point. total she, babe. She's cool. She's a babe. She's my friend. Really? She is. I don't want to call her babe.
1: Well, I think I'll, she's beautiful. I'll call her babe. She's so cute. She's cool.
2: Well, her husband, who's also a friend of mine, John Samano. Oh, she's married. Never mind. He's in a band called <laughs> uh The Cringe. Okay. And uh, we played, and then The Cringe played, and then whoever headlined, like Train played. At South Southwest At uh, Stubbs You probably played Stubbs yeah, Outside sure, yeah. Stubbs And uh, I was up in the balcony Watching Cringe play John's band And I was thinking I don't know if it's Front of House or whatever. The, the, the guitars sound Very brittle And Right yeah They just They're not working for me Sure Well because they're Celebrities Rachel and John They're like Oh our friend Billy Gibbons Is here He's gonna come play A song with us Have you heard of him Billy Gibbons famously Of ZZ Top Now Billy Gibbons Comes out and they don't have an amp for him or a guitar for him. The guitar player from the cringe hands him his guitar. And this whole show, 30 minutes, I'm going, this guitar does not sound as right. good as it could. Billy walks back to the amp and just does these little minor ding, 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 ding. And he starts going, go, 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 gank, go, 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 go. Sharp go, Man. Dun, dun,
0: and it sounded yeah.
2: exactly like go, go, Top. And I was like, myth confirmed. Yep. It's in your fuck. It's how you fucking even touch if,
1: it. Even if Billy Gibbons did not go back to the amp and adjust anything, he it, could have played it totally. on a Mesa Boogie or a f- fucking Fractal or whatever a diesel amp. It might be, the, yeah, the distortion might be a little bit much. But if he went, boom, bam, 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 or he'd roll, bam, the, bam, bam, or he'd roll the volume up down a little bit. He'd, he'd, yeah, it's just all there. In a the- lot of tone is in the... Most of the tone is in the hands. So the clarity Clapton slow hand. <laughs> Where we at? Jump of the fire? No, no, we're on Faded Black. Okay,
2: so Because what I want to say about it, so Kirk's playing this Burgundy Lose Paul, which is great. He sounds great. Rob's playing the Jocko P bass. Yeah. But what I like about Faded Black is James dedicates it to Cliff. A lot of Cliff mojo. Yeah. Um, right before the ga-ga-ga-ga, ga-ga-ga-ga, mm-hmm.
1: he does the whole like, Cliff, can you hear us? You know, which is... yeah. Real sweet, but it, I mean they're also they're also like basically in their in their new hometown. Yeah. they're out of L.A., but they're in the Bay Area. This is well, where that they was started. Yeah, exactly. And Ray Burton was in the crowd, right? He always is. So like, Cliff, can you hear us? Is like, I mean, Ray had to have been just like filled with emotion at that point because this is this is this is Cliff's stomping ground. Well, even after the song ends, James talks about you know the people that have
2: passed on. Who's still with them? He dedicates the next song to all the people that they miss, and then, kind of surprisingly for a dedication like that, they go in to jump in the fire. A song. Just about, kidding. This
1: is for Dave Mustaine.
2: A song about the devil pulling them into hell. Right. It is cool to hear these songs, though. Like, I do love hearing the Kill 'Em All era songs with like mature Metallica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good tone, good singing, a little more tongue in cheek. Not so like they're not really like living the no life to leather life
1: right exactly
2: thank goodness but I'm telling you dude this whole Dave Mustaine shit if I was Metallica and had as many good songs as they have which they have how many they have 120 great songs Mm -hmm. yep couple turds here and there um I'd be like hey you know what we don't have to play Jump in the Fire or Four Horsemen or Metal Militia or Phantom Lord we'll play our other 100 great songs yep just to deny that fucking asshole but I mean they're essentially playing everything this is all kill them all and lightning
1: yeah they they don't even get into puppets no 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 puppets helpless is the most recent song like you said earlier yep that's post puppets yes that's the only one that's 87 yeah yeah they go from there back to the first two records and I think it's so appropriate for this show but
2: they could have done motor breath they could have done no remorse sure uh, they could have done Seek and Destroy. They could have done Seek. They could have yeah. done, you know, Fi Fire, Fire. Escape, Trapping well, god damn it, why won't they play Escape? I mean, yeah, trapping and Eyes for sure. Play it. But but they're doing these Dave songs, I wonder, are they that big? Are they the big enough high road guys hmm. where they're like, you know what? The fans love these songs, and despite the fact that it lines the pockets. Of the biggest douchebag in the world We're going to play it Because they're above it Is that what's
1: going on? I think they're above it Because let's be honest Metallica Maybe it's petty of me to think Like I wouldn't play it. Well I'd imagine that Like financially speaking Like Yeah If they play a song live And it's on a recording Official recording That people are buying Mustaine's getting royalties But at the end of the day man These guys are fine They're fine They've been fine for decades Totally <clears throat> So for them to play Jump in the Fire, they're like, yeah, I'm going to stand and get some credit on this, but whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't even know if they think about, like, well, we're bigger, so whatever. I think, they're, I think they don't think about it. They got other things to think about. They're so far beyond R- what totally, happened there, totally. which is why they don't ever address it. Totally. They don't respond to Dave. Because they got other shit going when on. When Dave's like, I don't get royalties, blah, blah, <laughs> whatever, they're like, this thing didn't come out because we hit a pickle. That's not happening. We hit a dickle. We hit a dickle. Hey, how about the Kill em All thing? Which Dave signed off on, apparently. I
2: just don't get how he... Well, not to go back to this, but I just don't get how he can be like, no, that I need credit for Metal Militia. You had no problem with it all these years for Kill mm-hmm. them All, you fucking
1: cock-sucking,
2: yep. Yep. hypocrite fuckhead.
1: I think our boys in Metallica, specifically Lars and James have constantly taken the higher road. They have. Think about it back in the day. Like, when you look at old footage of Metallica ever talking about Mustaine, they don't talk shit. No. They don't. The only time they talk shit, and I wouldn't even call it shit, they talk about a matter of fact. You watch Behind the Music or whatever, and then when they talk about uh, Fire Mustaine, it's like, yeah, he was overboard. He was this, he was that. But that's his fault. It's his fault. But they never go, he was a fucking dick and we fired him. They're like, no, like, we all drank, we all did drugs, but he was way beyond right. us. It was too much, yeah. Totally. And, we,
2: and we wish him well. Like, the vibe has always been like, we
1: wish him well. He's great. Watch the Megadeth Behind the Music. They talk about Megadeth Records. Like, Lars praises Megadeth Records. He's like, when Rust in Peace came out, I thought it was fucking great. And when Mussain talks about Metallica Records coming out, he's like,
0: I wrote that.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well there's a point in the Megadeth, Megadeth Behind the Music, I think, uh, where he, it's like, you know, and then I released Rest in Peace, and they released Injustice for All. And then I did Canto into Extinction, and they did the Black album. And I'm oh, like, that's how fucking for real. He thinks they're like out to get him. I think he's built oh a my he's god. built a whole now. Oh my god! <laughs> I know this god. angers you. I think that he basically has built a whole personality and career off of like Metallica's out to get me. Yeah, and they still are in 2018.
2: But the, but, but here's what.
1: Here we go. Here we are three hours
2: later. If he if he was unsuccessful in like a fledgling, horribly cringeworthy band that just all he had was criticizing Metallica, right, right. that's his only thing. Mm-hmm. I'd be more like, oh, I get it. He's just a loser. But he's made this whole thing that's so legitimate you that, know who million, doesn't... that millions of people love, love. And he does not give a fuck. He yeah. has not reached the point that James reached in early aughts where he said, you know what? We were so fucking lucky. Yeah. And we almost threw it away because I was an idiot. And it's just, we're we're on the fucking receiving end of 15 years. Yes. Minimum, if not longer, of gratitude from Metallica. Yes. The biggest band in the world. Mm -hmm. And yet Dave is just stuck in this floundering, bitter pissing contest that he will forever lose.
1: My question is, what does he... Eight w- inches. What does he want? Oh. <laughs> Again, what does he want? Eight inches? It, 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 real, is, w- w- it like, is getting hard to tell. Like, what, what, what would make him stop all this bullshit? I think
2: I have experience with narcissists. My dad's one of them. I think what Dave would really want is for James and Lars to come out publicly and say you know what we owe so much we were wrong we were wrong Dave Mustaine is the reason that we were catapulted to thrash legends we owe so much to Dave we could never like he needs that kind of like bravado and he'll never get it because of course it's not true he contributed
1: there's there's elements of it that are true
2: Right. He, he was a big sh- part of certain things, of course. He w- well, he was a part of a big wave that was happening. Sure, of course. But to t- insinuate that without him, Hetfield couldn't have been
1: Hetfield is Bullsh- bullshit. Is fucking delusional. Dave at one point also said during, when Metallica inducted into Rock Hall of Fame, he said something along the lines of like, if I'm not inducted with them, like, it's bullshit. He thought he should be inducted with him. Because he was in the band before they made their first record? He doesn't know the rules of the Hall of Fame. He's a fucking douchebag. I hate it. Because I love Megadeth. I love the guitar playing. I, it, l- I and, You know what? And Dave, if you ever listen, I love what you contributed to Metallica. Dave, if you ever it listen, you're awesome. a fucking douchebag.
2: We live in the same town. Come find me. We'll talk about it. You know what rubs me too, and you can—I yeah, don't want to get in this territory necessarily, but—are we going too long? By the way, no. <laughs> what are we going to save? Twenty minutes now? Let's just do it.
1: Say he it. is this whole Christian guy, right? Ish. He—he he was for a bit, and he's back. He backed off, off that. I, I think about it. a bit, a bit.
2: I have a decade of experience in Christianity, sure. and I respect it, and you know, coexist with all my friends about it. But the most important tenet of Christianity that I know is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy yes. that, this is a guy that professes Christ and all this, and he has no concept of forgiveness. He's in a 35 year unforgiveness I mean, it, 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 is, war.
1: Unforgiven. He's
2: he, he's not unforgiven. He's he's the he's the um, vitiated saint of thrash who can't forgive. He's the unforgiver.
0: Because you're unforgiven. Three. Dave. Mustaine.
1: Yeah. You need
0: to let it go, dude. We don't need to
1: hop around this. I mean, the, the, we, we've talked about this. We, you guys all know how we feel about this. For whom the bell tolls? You, tolls you, for, were, for Dave. Were you ready to <laughs> were you ready to pivot? No, not at all. Um, love it. I, I mean, the, the great performance. I love that the, they're, they're sticking with the first two records. Um, Kirk on the zombie guitar. Love it. Great.
2: James grabs Lars' of sticks and he's doing the ba-da-ba-da-ga. Yeah. He's hitting the cymbals with yep. Lars. Awesome. Which I've done before. I've done with the head sucker my guitars before and really fucked up some of my guitars. You have to do the head sucker guitar. Kind of got lost in some moments. Deal with the consequences later. You
1: have to do it. Oh, that's
2: my whole life philosophy.
1: Oh, man. Do what you want now, <laughs> pay exactly. later. Like earlier, I was driving to the store. And I saw this asshole driving too slow, and I just... Dave? Sma- it, was it, Dave Mistain? Mistain. it was Dave Mustaine. It was Dave Mustaine. I saw him. I honked my horn, he goes, what? <laughs> I accelerated and smacked him in the back of his car. Of course you did. And I was like, you know what? I'll deal with it later. Dave, so, here, so
2: Here's my card. 555 five, five. Dave Mustaine. Fuck
1: you. 555 <laughs> five, five. Don, your insurance.
2: Dave. My takeaway from Bell's... Mm-hmm. Which I felt this way for much of the set, but it really drove home for me of they're playing the song with no lights. There's no Nothing. backstage. Yeah. There's no production value other mm-hmm. than the sound, and this song is just as powerful. There doesn't need. There's no screen with a huge bell. Right. Swaying back there's, and forth. There's no big huge bullshit. Nothing. It's just the power of the gut it gut it go, Niggas yep. fight on the hill. Like it's just that fucking powerful. Yep. And it's Great. nice, it, like, I like, I for one like production value. Mm-hmm. I like when shit seems otherworldly or when they people play, I like tracks and shows. I don't mind hearing Muse sound like right. they're from another planet. Mm-hmm. I don't have this, like, purity, like, I don't see a guy doing it on stage, therefore right. I hate it.
1: But I also, I also love about band like Metallica playing in a record store, no production, and still just, like, they're playing like they're in an arena. Because that's the power of the song. Exactly. The power of the song power always Power of the song, wins. power of the band. Yes, correct. They just, they're like, fuck it. Like, we're Metallica. We don't need to be in an arena or an amphitheater or a stadium I or feel so a field in a huge festival for, with 100,000 people.
2: I, f- I, I totally agree. I feel like the two songs that come to mind, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. Okay. A Metallica trump card. Like, if Metallica was like, Let's say the slate was cleaned, and there was like, battle the bands for the for the universe. Okay. You gotta go play one song to rip the fucking head off the universe. I feel like Metallica has two songs that are contenders for me. Bells. Bells is number one for me. A close second, though. Can you guess what it is for me? Creeping Death. No. Puppets. No. Really? Sad. Ooh. Sad true. I think it's Bells and Sad are the two... I mean, it- B- Bells is pretty short.
1: It's it's that's what I like about it though. Me too. Yeah. There's no
2: big solo, no big. That's what I don't. There's, there's p- no solo other than like the puppets would be disqualified uh, because there's this whole like.
1: You there's go, a whole bridge. You got to go and, down
2: and then you come there's back. There's a whole
1: bridge, then a solo, then a third verse. But on, so. bells just rips your fucking head off. I think sad rips your head off. See, I I, I would have guessed bells and creeping death.
2: Cre- creep is
1: probably. But, the third but song, "Sabbath True," I would say is more accessible to anybody. Right? It's slower. It's just a bang, dunk, dunk,
2: But the lyric is really hooky too. Hey, I'm your life. I'm the one who takes you right. there. It's a lot of repetition in the yeah. verse, which is a big gimmick and very in, catching, in, in yeah. hooks. You, you're my mask. You're the one. There's three U's. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, my
1: covering, my shelter. It's yeah. It's, it's great. Oh, I wasn't quoting the lyrics. I was talking to you. Oh. you're my cover you're my shelter Clint I'm honored oh, I'm your dreams I'm your lies I'm your I'm your alibi I'm inside. I'm your eyes. Open, open your, your eyes. eyes I'm you
2: <laughs> I'm you Clint I don't know what do you what, what do you think if you had to pick two songs for Metallica in the uh, in the battle of the bands of the universe no one's ever heard them Oof. and the, you know I'm, they're, they're uh, up against uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. They're up against the *Stairway to Heaven*. Sure. They're up against *Iron Man*. All right. The greatest song. They're up against, uh, you know, you can go your own way. They're up against uh, *Sweet Child of Mine*. Are you yawning? Okay.
1: Am I yawning? Are we, 1 Are you a- yawning? I'm sorry. One fifty in the morning, right Holy now. Shit! How long? Are it's we almost recording? two a.m. Oh no, dude, we're we're over three hours. Fuck. Longest episode of all time. All right. Real quick, I'm gonna say I'm with you on proving the bell tolls. Yeah, I would maybe even say Unforgiven. Yeah, ballad heavy, yep.
2: great solo. Great Short, lyrics. it's like five minutes, yeah, not so, crazy long. All right. Yep. The thing I like the most about the end of the song is they sort of tease Saint Anger. Yeah. Uh, James makes a uh, joke about the snare, <laughs> and mm-hmm. Lars is going ba da that da, da, bah, da bah, and they start fucking riffing
1: on Dirty Window. Yeah. Which I'm into Dirty Window, dude. Sure.
2: That's they, probably my favorite song. On, of Anger. They
1: riff on it. They joke. It's fun, and then all of a sudden, it's like. Okay, 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 we're done, we're done we're, we're, okay. do, we're not doing that
2: Back to reality, here's Creeping Death Right
1: uh, Nothing to say really about it it's It kicks creeping ass death. Well, Who doesn't like Creeping Death? If you don't like Creeping Death Stop listening to us right now If you don't like Creeping Death, what do you like about Metallica?
2: Well, Maybe, I, you, maybe you just like Hero of the Day or something
1: uh, I like Hate uh, the Lights and that's it
2: Oh, there are people who like heat, hit the lights but don't like
1: Creeping Death? You're insane if you do. Oh, my God. I How hope about I never meet that person. <laughs> I would like to issue a challenge to all of our fans. Yes? If you don't like Creeping Death, email us. Nothing long, no explanation. Just say, subject title, I don't like Creeping Death. And then in the content, just say, it's true. That's it. Don't know <laughs> a story needed... I just want to know if we have people listen to us that don't like human death. That's insane. Well, now here's one of the most, in my opinion,
2: one of my least favorite Metallica songs, and not because it's bad, but one of the most exciting moments of this record mm-hmm. is they close out the show with a super rare gym metal militia. Yeah. Which I think is just like a treat.
1: It's a treat. The, another it sounds another, great. another classic example of them playing their hometown area Record store day, they've already gone through just two records. That's it. Nothing even on Master of Puppets, but Metal Militia. It's like you, like they're on stage going like, "This is the Metal Militia. This is us." Totally.
2: Like, how do they not play Battery at this, or Puppets,
1: or Damage Inc. or,
2: but even blackened
1: w- or one. They you- didn't play one. Yeah. Oh, yeah blackened or one or I understand man they didn't do any of that stuff oh, that i love it sad i know it's so cool right to me it was it was them going okay we're ambas- ambassadors of record store day it's all about old school vinyl they kind of just stuck let's to that play, theme. let's play let's play that era yeah like early like
2: early metal vinyl era it's almost like though if they were going to open up with a cover like helpless they should have done like am i evil or something like an earlier cover, or Blitzkrieg, or something, or um, not it's, Blitzkrieg, but um,
1: it's tough to think that the, the, the whole intro with Helpless was was planned. It it, it probably was. Had to be that that it sounded like it wasn't. It was like, hey, what's up? Go right into the right into the drum thing, and then yeah. just go right into the song. Yep.
2: But I don't know. We'll let's talk about Hardwired. So then they, they the the, the disc is rounded off with the debut of Hardwired, which was Minneapolis. Minneapolis.
1: This was uh, the first time they ever played it live. And also, a side note, um, since then, the intro was a tape. As we know, there's like the Metallica tapes. Yeah. Um, the intro tapes. hmm This one, it Which was actually the kind them, of a was that actually right them playing. Oh, yeah.
2: And I thought it was awesome. At the I mean, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. It was the first show there. Yeah. Right? August 20th, 2016.
1: Fifty thousand people, no big deal, no big deal. They weren't even on tour technically yet. They're like, "Hey, we're gonna do a show here." Well, the new stadium for Let's all of us who've been on
2: the ride. That was kind of that was the kickoff of basically the kickoff of the Hardwired
1: cycle. I mean, that was the first time, and like all of us were sitting around and all of a sudden online, like, "Holy shit, they debuted Hardwired! This is amazing." Well, Volbeat opened, and. Which we saw them. Wait, I don't know.
2: Do we see them in... I saw them in St. Louis.
1: They were on They were on most of the U.S. tour last year.
2: They were pretty good. All
1: right. They're pretty good. Whatever. I like them better than Avenged Sunfold.
2: Now, all right. Did we do it? We burned it down. It's a great... Look, we're lucky to have a disc three like this. I'd rather have it than demos, than meandery demos. Yes. Because this is a disc three that I put on all the time. Lords of Summer is fast becoming... A very special song to me in my Metallica fandom.
1: I like I said before, I still wish that it was on the actual CD. Yeah, it, it just it would have made a lot of sense. Even if they made it at the last track. Well, you can't nah, really you spit. can't really fuck with nah, the spit. Spits or let's it. let's just say like throw it somewhere in the middle. Add an extra song to it. This could have been such a great addition to hardware. I get why you didn't do it. The song been around for a while. You already played it live, you already released a demo version of it, but
2: it's how about all awesome. the records still hardwired to self-destruct without the dot 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 which I hate that I don't love it man. make hardwired the second track the titular second track oh. call it hardwired to self-destruct make Lords of Summer track one
1: ooh ba 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 da 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 intro
2: yeah alright well I don't know it's a great third disc we're really lucky to have it the hardwired cycle has been a uh, rejuvenating time for all of us. I think mm-hmm. we're all as excited as we've ever oh, yeah. been. Oh yeah. Because how how bummer, how much of a bummer would it be if our favorite band kind of made a shitty record that we're like it'd be like Kit like, you know, Kiss has made a couple of recent <laughs> records. A couple. With Monster and uh, Sonic Boom that weren't great. We kinda right. had to like pretend to rally around them. Sure. Just so they could go on tour and play all the songs we love. That's not the case with Hardwired. I mean No, not they're even playing, close. Not even close. they're playing a lot of these songs live.
1: Yeah, most and
2: of them Anyway, we want to round out the episode with announcing the winners of our monthly Patreon contest. What? We got five gifts. We're going to announce the winners. Now, Now, if you want to get on the ride, we're going to be doing this every month. You can go to patreon.com slash metal of podcast. Yep. do it. You're going to get the Lunar Satan <clears throat> tracks, the, the EPs, right? And other nice things. Oh, yeah. Some of Ethan's uh, pubic hair We're putting in the pantry dishes.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, you're getting that for sure. You were getting that for sure.
2: All right. So here are our winners. We're going to announce them. All right. um, The fifth prize are Puss Head Twin Flaming Skull Hockey Puck. Badass. And we we chose these randomly, by the way. These are not based on who's given the most money or how long. These are completely random. Right. There's, There's this. And then once you. Okay. Here's some other stipulations. If you win the gift and you don't want it and you want to pay it forward, we put the gift back into the queue. Correct. And we put you back into the queue as a potential winner. Mm -hmm. So if you hear your name and you want the gift, email us, Patreon winner. I won the hockey puck. Here's my address. If you don't want it. Hey, I won the thing. Pay it forward. Put me back in the queue. Yes, exactly. Now, the winner of the hockey puck is Colby Landis. Colby. You did it.
1: I know Colby. Oh, really? Yes. Really? Yeah. He was at our anniversary party. Oh, okay. He's an old friend of mine now. Well, he I, he won. I will note. Anyone else out there that was hoping to win? This is not rigged. Clint actually like went through. I didn't know who. I don't know who the winners are. He didn't even know we were doing this until I got to his house. It's true. So, I, yes, Colby's a friend of mine, but I didn't know he was going to win. So, okay. congrats, Colby. Our number four prize, which is a
2: Load Era poster which is like the Godfather scene in the back of Lode where they're all mm-hmm. smoking stogies, which is one of my favorite images of Metallica. Oh, yeah. This is a big poster. The winner of that is Chad Hogg. A good friend of mine. I'm just kidding. Shit. <laughs> all right, Chad. Chad Hogg. All right. Yeah. I hope you put it up in your bedroom so you can see it before you go to bed every night. Mm. Our third prize is a sealed, beyond magnetic, compact disc. Sealed? What? Seal. Sealed it.
1: Kiss from a rose. Sealed.
2: I've been kissed, kissed
0: by, by a rose.
2: The winner of that prize is Dylan Himes. Dylan Himes. Himes. Congrats. Congrats, Dylan Himes. You did it. Despite all odds, you did it. Our fourth prize is a sealed, once again, kiss by a A Rose on the Grave Um, Mm. DVD of Pride, Passion, and Glory Three Nights in Mexico City And this winner is Kim Bernstein Congratulations Holy shit, (sighs) Kim You did it Our number one prize Is a very coveted and rare Captain's of Crunch Poster With embossed Signatures of the band They didn't sign it But it does have the signatures of the band Donated to us by our friend Tiffany and the winner is our friend Christopher Yurgis. Christopher Yurgis, what? You did it!
0: You're the best around. <laughs> I am on the reins of
1: Africa. <laughs> <laughs> sure as Kilimanjaro rises like. I've been Olympus kind of obsessed with that Toto Serengeti. song recently. Congratulations, all right. Chris. Congratulations all right. to everybody. That was awesome. If you
2: guys won, email us at, at com with your address and say, I won the thing. Yeah, No one lie about it. Don't try to trick us. Well, it doesn't make sense. We're all in this together. and We're going to be giving out prizes for the next, what, two years? How many years are we going to do this podcast? Uh, 18? At, at
1: least eight months.
0: Having said that, it's been long.
2: <laughs> we appreciate it. We're isn't tired. It,
1: isn't it that long? It's only 2 a.m., it's literally 2 o'clock in the morning. I can't even talk right now. I'm so tired.
2: Look, if you have any thoughts or opinions... I have so many thoughts right now. Email us at Show at com. If you want to get on the ride on the support level, patreon.com slash podcast. Yep. Leave us a positive review at the bare minimum. We love you. We appreciate you. We do. We love you. We'll see you on the
1: goddamn flip-flop. All right. With all that to say...
0: Peace. Adios. i on the fans of Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to close my eyes. my eyes I don't, don't want to fall, fall asleep cause, Cause I miss you babe, babe. I don't, don't want to miss a thing, thing. Even when don't I dream, dream of, of you,
1: you. The oh, Swedish code. dream
0: would never do Cause I still miss you Did babe Did you say the
1: Swedish name? Your Swedish main Your Swedish name Is this post episode shit? Or we can go ahead and say again, Peace! Adios!
2: (laughs) If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that.